I'm Jacob Tender. I'm Mike Amate. Welcome back to Bantha Fodder. This is episode 35, and today we are discussing episodes one through three of The Mandalorian season two on Disney Plus. We would have talked about season one, but we just kind of lost that. Mandalorian season one started a year ago or whenever, and we were like, oh, you see Mandalorian? Yeah, we should talk about it. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. Weeks would go by for whatever reason. We were doing something else. And then we were like, oh, well, we're far enough in that we might as well just wait till the end of the season and do a season recap. That way we don't have to spend a million episodes doing this. And the season finished, and then we just started talking about other things we recorded about. (laughs) There were so many new Star Wars announcements. Rise of Skywalker came out. Like, it was just... Yeah, yeah. We missed the window, right? I, after a certain point, it's like, okay, who, who cares to, to listen to this? And I think yeah. we had probably already talked about it enough between ourselves off mic that it just wasn't, we probably didn't have anything left in the game. I think it's, it's that we just procrastinated. That's yes. fine. Yeah. But like, I mean, season one recap for, for me was not even like plot recap. And it was like, how, I, how did you feel about season one? Overall, I mean, I loved it. It was great TV. It was nice because there wasn't really anything else sort of like that. Game of Thrones had ended at that point, so there wasn't any like big, you know, major TV events that I was looking forward to. So it really had my focus. And I mean, I watched every episode multiple times. And generally, as the weeks went on, because there was nothing else to do, I would watch whatever episodes had come out previous to the one that was coming out that Thursday night. You know, some of them I I saw more than three or four times, but it's Mm. just so well produced it's more than i expected to get i definitely agree it's more than i expected i I would say season one is pretty good tv i wouldn't say it's great tv mostly because i think like it was a lot of monster of the week and Mm. kind of you know trying to make stuff cool i don't have a great take on season one because it's been so long but i just like bill burr in space you know like it, it very much was like something i'd see on abc for some episodes and some of it wasn't some of it was a little bit more intense and stuff but I think that has changed a lot with this season. I think this season is, is definitely um, moved into the territory of great TV. Yeah, I think that you're right about the Monster of the Week thing. The first season definitely felt very Doctor Who to me a lot of times. Mm. And I'm okay with that. I like Doctor Who. I sort of like that idea of a you know a narrative sort of stringing together through a bunch of episodes where you don't think anything is happening. Um, I like those little payoffs at the end. And maybe... Season one of The Mandalorian didn't have as many of those as, say, your standard season of Doctor Who. But I, I liked all of those little bits, and I liked that they were able to explore new areas. I think that's the idea of these TV shows. We get to go to new planets and see new characters and, and new species and uh, and really get a feel for the galaxy as as a bigger thing than what we get in the movies because the movies generally stick to a certain number of planets, a strict number of characters. This allows more to come in and out, gives Bill Burr a chance to be on TV. A Boston accent in space. I know this has probably been talked about in every other Star Wars outlet, but as a Bostonian myself, I just feel like it just, it doesn't make sense. It makes less sense than like a Scottish accent in space or whatever, you know, like it's just like, it's so not dignified and space is just a dignified place. I feel like, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta work to get out there. And I feel like a Bostonian wouldn't want to go out into space really. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking, speaking of like the, the moving to different planets, I think that's a big part of why season one felt like a little bit more, um, a little bit more boxed in. Like, I just felt like they had four sets, 
in season one. I know they didn't. I know there there was a lot. Like I'm just I'm not giving enough credit. But at the same time, I felt like they went were going back to the same locations repeatedly, mm-hmm. and I I just felt like I was seeing the same things over and over. And that I think that probably led to why like it was it was sort of like a meta TV thing for me for being like okay we're coming back here again like yeah it felt a little sandboxed. Yeah, um, and I would say this season is definitely kind of taking that in a different direction. So far, I mean, yeah, we're, we're today we're going to talk about the first three episodes, which I think are all pretty distinct. Um, yeah, agree. We don't get any repeat planets. Uh, we, in fact, they're all you know pretty distinct as far as their biomes go. <laughs> so why do I feel like they went to Tatooine already in the series? Did they? They well, did because yeah, they did. Uh, Amy Sedaris. Season. Yeah, Amy yeah, Sedaris's okay. character reprises her role, which is fun. Um, I, I had mixed feelings on Amy Sedaris' character because I love her. I love the whole family, honestly. But yeah, truly. I, treasures, all of them. She just sticks out <laughs> so much in the she series. She does. Because she's just too, she feels too real that in this show, she feels fake. I don't even think it's that. I think it's just the way that she's acting and the and the performance they're asking of her is like, I don't think, because... <sighs> There are recognizable faces in Star Wars. Like mm-hmm. people pop up here and there, and, and it'll take you out. I think that's a big reason why they don't cast a lot of like super well knowns. I mean, like wow. Oscar Isaac. I mean, he was pretty well known. I mean, he wasn't super well known, I should say. Um, Adam Driver, I guess, is probably the most visible face. I mean, like Carl Weathers. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but he's Carl Weathers. Um, Amy Sedaris. I think it's just like who Amy Sedaris is and how she acts is indicative of like it's just like they didn't tone ask her to tone it down she is a very Mm -hmm. like out there actress and Mm -hmm. and she just she doesn't really try and contain herself which is a great thing and i'm i'm happy about this this is like remember how i said you know when solo was coming out like oh i want the buddy comedy in space i want the ace ventura in space you know like that they're gonna give us with uh, lord and miller or whatever and it's like sort of like a system shock to to see this kind of like slapsticky kind of stuff and not in the same way that like because you got slapstick with like r2 and, and 3po like occasionally and just some weird stuff but in general, it's just like you don't get that weird kind of sarcasm and like loud, humorous. Like there's not a lot of humor. It's all like, I guess if you look at the humor in Star Wars, it's more of like what you see in the Last Jedi that people didn't like. You know, like the bathos, the Marvel stuff, like the little jokes to cut the tension, mm-hmm. like Harrison Ford stuff, um, like you know, sly things. And I think Amy Sedaris kind of, again, I love it, but yeah. it's it's definitely different. <laughs> well, she's a great foil for the Mandalorian, who Who's has no just emotion. Deadpan right? the like, yeah, time. yeah. There's, there's nothing there. He's um, probably my biggest complaint. Like his his voice acting <laughs> is like I get he's supposed to be unaffected, uh, but it's just like it does seem like he's not even in the same room when he's doing these lines. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I I do wonder about that, and I, I do want to to talk to you about you know sort of his his role in this series and what we think will happen as far as the helmet goes. Um, but yeah, I, I I think the best place to start is probably with chapter nine, the marshal. Um, this is the this was the big one. I it, I think they started off this season really boldly and yeah, at the same time very safely because I think the payoff for this episode, uh, and I I don't think it's any surprise that we're going to be talking spoilers for this episode. So if you haven't seen it, now's the time to turn it off. Um, I th- I think the payoff for this first episode of this first season really sort of plays into what everybody expected from the show before we knew anything about the show. Mm-hmm. And that is 
that is safe, but also very smart. I think it makes sense for there to be some story about Boba Fett here. I think like this is the time to tell that story. Uh, and even though this is not a show about Boba Fett, like a lot of people thought um, prior to any you know formal announcements, I didn't expect to get this right off the bat in episode one. And in fact, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even piece it together right away. Like you had to like, you told me what you thought at the end of the first episode. Well, I didn't spoil, but I didn't spoil, you didn't it, spoil for it. You no, don't make, you, don't make the listeners think I'm a no, 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 spoiler, no. dude. No, no, no. We always make sure that we've, we, I always ask, have you seen the full episode? <laughs> right, right, right. I, well, I mean, so when you say that I told you, it was basically, I, I, you know, I asked if you had seen it you said you just finished it. And I, I said something to the effect of like yeah. Boba and you're like, well, was that, that's a clone. That has well, to be a clone. Well, I, I said, are you sure? Because, I, you know, the thought crossed my mind. But Technically, I, he is a clone, I guess. So he, you were, well, you're not he's, wrong. He's not a clone. I, I guess... Boba's a clone. He's a he's like a... Didn't, isn't he just a clone oh, that doesn't well, sure. age the same? Or age... He ages regular? Um. Yeah, he got his... Uh, yeah, okay. He's not like... He's not like the rest of the clones. He's like the special one-off, special edition. Yeah, he's version. the he's the Django Fett special. <laughs> He's the chase Fire variant. Don't, he's the custom model. <laughs> um, but yeah, my, that was my thought. It's like, okay, is this a red herring? And that was, you know, my skepticism was the the first place I jumped to. But then I thought, surely this can't be. Like, there's no way that this show could recover if this was just another clone and it wasn't actually Boba Fett. Like, there's no way they could recover from that. People would just be too upset, right? I. I mean, yeah, but I don't think it's so much a red hair. It would have been so much a red herring as such as an Easter egg because I think we've we've moved on from Tatooine at this point. But oh, I don't think so. You think? I mean, yeah. I mean, unless Boba's gonna, you know, find a new ship and and chase down the Mandalorian, I don't think so. I don't think it's over. Okay, well, like, anyway. that is not that is, that cannot be it. I I mean, I would I would wager a fair amount that that was just our our look at boba and i'm sure he'll come back in a book or something like that because i the, one thing i think we're seeing a lot of now is that we're, we're paying tribute to a lot of the the novelization or the novels you know mm-hmm. that came along with the new star wars like i mean aftermath is heavily referenced in this mm-hmm. um Cobb i mean made his first appearance in a in one of those like little vignettes in aftermath sure. which is cool like that is that that is something that like i do appreciate about the aftermath books a little bit more um in retrospect is that they are really they're written sort of like a movie like it really helps you visualize the sure. the story being told as a movie because it's like here's this little you know little thing that's going on somewhere else across the galaxy for sure and and it was edited i mean yeah exactly it was written as exactly as the way the movie played out you know with different scenes everywhere cutting back and forth between characters really mm-hmm. really awesome stuff and i just think it's it's like i mean aftermath itself was referencing canon material like there's there's one of those vignettes was referencing the abandoned troop, uh, a clone trooper who abandoned his post, which showed up in an episode of the Clone Wars in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just like, it's just it, the references are there, and it's 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 just like a it's a way of paying tribute to anybody who came before. And like, you could say that for all of Star Wars. Like, right. all of Star Wars is referencing Lucas and, and the trilogy, the original trilogy. So it's like not that exciting. And like, there there are very few new monsters that you know were not initially drafted by McQuarrie in some way, <laughs> right? Yeah, but I mean, it's it's not like, you know, it, it it toes the line between fan service and paying homage. I guess mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where I I, I try to figure out what's because I think like aftermath calling back to that clone trooper that abandoned his post. Um, I think that's 
homage, but also, you know, it served a function. This this Boba Fett appearing in this episode, if he doesn't come back again, I, in Mandalorian specifically, because I, I do not, I think we're going to get a novel, like a bounty hunter novel, or he's going to mm-hmm. show up in a comic book somewhere and they're going to give us his story. Like, I think they're really just setting up other areas of the, fran- or other mediums of the franchise. I disagree. Time will tell. Okay, this show is about Mandalorians, right? Yes. And who is the most famous Mandalorian? Boba Fett. Not Boba Fett. Okay. Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian. You know what I'm talking about. Like whether, you know, there's a strict Mandalorian or, you know, like a a fake Mandalorian, that even comes into question with the Mandalorian in episode three, which we'll get to. But this this show sort of set that expectation that the possibility for pulling him back in was was there. And it has given us that um, to a certain degree. I, I I would say like, the, with the cop van thing uh, in aftermath, we really didn't get a whole lot of new, new information on how he obtained the Boba Fett armor in this. It was actually just sort of like a, a silver screen adaptation of, you know, he just told us what happened in that vignette in aftermath. There wasn't mm-hmm. really anything new there, as far as I remember. But then to have Boba Fett as the stinger at the end of that episode, there he's coming back. Like there's no way he doesn't come back to Tatooine. Like I, I don't, I can't say you're wrong. But I also can't see how you're so certain about it at the same time. That's that's really my only thing. How can they show off Boba Fett and then just I, never address him again? I mean, the same way they showed like the crate Dragon Pearl, you know, like it's just, you know, these are I think there's a lot of tributes that are happening in these episodes. I mean, there, you, you, you yourself indicated that something that I never would have picked up on is that reverse shot, you know, when he's talking to the Tusken Raiders, mm-hmm. um, Mandalorian, like they do that shot sh- shot reverse to kind of extend the, the shot or whatever. It's called rolling, I think. Rolling, okay. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's yeah. And that is something I never would have picked up on, but that's another homage, you know, like uh, if it is, unless they actually were trying to extend the shot a little bit, you know, there's a, there's a practical reason to do that. And they might also have just been doing that. And it happened to be with a Tusken Raider. I don't know that that's true, but um, I'm just thinking of, of all the reasons why. But I don't think, I think it's totally within their realm to introduce new things in this series that are going to get touched upon in other media. And if they just need to show that Boba Fett lives, like, I don't know, like the rest the episode last season, uh, where Cara Dune, her name's Cara Dune, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she, re- him, her and the Mandalorian rescue that village. I mean, there could be a comic that touches back on that village later, you know, like I sure. just, like, I just think that, or like a prequel comic or something like that. Like that's really what we're going to get is like, we need some. They're go, they're setting up the prequel to that episode. Basically, the, what what fills in the blanks between Boba Fett climbing out of the Sarlacc pit, and that armor ending up on Tim, Timothy Oliphant. Like we ha, we need the the space in between there. And I don't think it's unreasonable for the show to just be kind of saying, okay, here's this thing that's going to come in somewhere else, which is not fan service entirely. Like it's partially fan service. I have to like definitely acknowledge it. But it's not like throwing it in there for the sake of throwing it in there. It's throwing it in there for the sake of being like, hey, this is the thing, and we're going to come back to this in some other way at a different time. I think there are three things. Okay. I think that there's homages, like mm-hmm. the rolling or um, you know, the fact that maybe perhaps part of Cobb Vance Speeder is part of Anakin's old pod racer. Um, yeah. Then there's fan service, which is saying Womp Rat four times. Uh that got a little old and then i and then there's bobo which i i do think is like more it could be fan service but i really do think it's a plot Wait, point so, so there's so so literary techniques there's homage fan service 
and Boba Fett's plot and plot points. I think he is. A, I think he breaks out of those as a. I think he has to be a plot point. They brought back the actor from the prequels. Like this is this is the guy, right? They they brought back the guy, and to bring him back for just a single shot, I think is. I, I don't think that's a possibility. I just think there has to be more, especially when you want there to be more. <laughs> no, of course I want there to be more, but I, I, I think we've I already seen think so fine. far in the season that the Mandalorian is going to be facing some really tough questions on what a Mandalorian is. We got some of that in episode three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's going to be more of that with Boba in the future. They've they've said where they stand on Boba Fett. Like they, like Clone Wars dictated what Boba Fett was. I feel I just re- started rewatching the Mandalore arc the other night, where, where Obi Wan says to the the guy on a, I think it's Prime Minister on Mandalore. He's like, I I know this guy named Jango Fett, and he's like, Jango, I have no idea how that guy got that armor. He's not a Mandalorian. He's yeah. a common pirate or whatever. No, I don't you know, think like there's some, any question that he's not like from mandalore right like i don't think that's the question but i do think that there's going to be a lot of a lot of discussion this season about who who deserves to wear it what kind of creed you know everybody follows like there are different factions of mandalorians as it is and he's got to come to terms with that that's true that i agree with i agree that he this season is probably about him understanding what mandalorians are because the whole point of this season was him seeking out more of his kind to lead Mm -hmm. him to the jedi um, I mean, so I, I, I agree with you that this is about him learning about Mandalorian, especially himself, who was, he wasn't born a Mandalorian. He was right. inducted into this, this religious cult, you know, like basically, yeah. um, would, th- would these be like the Concordian Mandalorian people, the one that were on the moon in Clone Wars? I don't so know. I, just I, I believe that. they revealed in episode three that they were Death Watch. Okay. Which ones though? The ones that picked the up? The ones that picked up are our Mandalorian, the, the titular Mandalorian. That was Death Watch? Huh. I, I, I believe... He, I guess we'll find she, out. I think she said, like, part of the watch. But she's Death Watch, is she not? I, I, I haven't finished no, Rebels, and so I have... And I haven't... Um, and I'm still re-watching the Mandalore arc, so I, I don't I think know. They, these were, like, the the Mandalorians that, you know, sort of descended from, you know, the original Death Watch and everything that we already saw in Clone Wars. But I, I think the last point that I would want to make on this is that that first... In this first episode with Cobb Vanth, like, obviously, mm-hmm. he's pissed off that Cobb Vanth is, you know cosplaying as a Mandalorian. But I think what he finds at the end, even though he does take the armor and as he goes through this, the rest of the season, I think he's going to find that like, it's not, it's not about the armor. It's about the, the creed and, you know, the code that you follow and he follows his own code. And, you know, he really is sort of like the last of, of his kind. It seems Um, the Mandalorian we're talking about, right? He's following, you know, his factions creed. And as far as we know, he's the only one left. And then he meets this other group and they follow their own code and they're trying to restore, a, you know, the history of, of Mandalore in a different way. And I think what he's going to discover over time is that, like, yeah, Cobb Vanth is basically doing the same thing as him. He's just trying to tr- protect his own people, right? He's the Mandalorian is protecting the child. Cobb Vanth is protecting this mining collective at Moth Pelgo. So I, I think he's, like, going to come to terms with that. And I wouldn't be surprised if him coming back to... Tatooine to return the armor to Cobb Vanth is the setup for the remainder of the Boba Fett story. That's my that's guess. Possi- that's possible, but I don't think... I think that's like a season finale type thing. Could like, be. whatever happens, I think he comes back and drops the armor off. If that's something that happens. I still don't think it's going to happen. I don't even know what he's doing with the Boba Fett armor. But, yeah. you know, it's I think it's it's, fine. he just sees it as his responsibility to recover all Beskar <laughs> that he can find. <laughs> sure. So... All right, let's let's actually get into the plot of this one because I, I think like those are all very important points. I th- I 
you know, whether or not Boba Fett comes back. Um, a lot of other cool stuff happened in this episode. We got to actually see a crate dragon, um, which I think you had some thoughts on. So let's, I, you know, all I have is to go by is, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, which I think many people have. And I think, uh, the Star Wars Bounty Hunter for the GameCube also had a depiction of a, of a crate dragon, which is pretty similar, I think, to the Knights of the Old Republic one. But the crate dragon we got in this was not the crate dragon we got in those games. And I'm happy for that. I'm happy with what they gave it to us. But when it appeared, you know, when it kind of moved through like the, the sand and kind of ate the bantha, which was brought a tear to our eye, I know. Um, you know, I, I just was like, crate dragon? And Aaron is like, um, she's sitting next to me on the couch watching this with me and She's like, what are you saying? And I'm like, a crate dragon. I think it's a crate dragon. And then when they say it, you know, like five or 10 minutes later, like we're going to kill the crate dragon. I'm like, oh, but the, you notice they call it a, a crate dragon. It's it's not, not a, it's not a crate dragon. It's a crate dragon. Do you know, did you hear the difference when they would say it? No. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, <laughs> but it, it's, it's like, it's it, the em- emphasis on the, the different syllable. It's funny to me when they do that. I did see, um, I, I saw a fun thing on Twitter, which I didn't know. This is a fun, a fun piece of Star Wars history. It was that the the original crate dragon skeleton that we see in the the Dune shot in Brontosaurus is from a movie called One of Our Dinosaurs Is Missing. Yeah, or, or, or so I, I believe that's the movie. I, I think that's right. Um, and they just borrowed it and then stuck it in the desert, like they had already used it in a Walt Disney movie, and they. I'm like, hey, yeah, we can just recycle this. <laughs> it was a Brontosaurus skeleton, right? Um, but well, w- Brontosaurus is the previous version of a Patasaurus, I think, or something like that. I'm, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be a Brontosaurus because it has really sharp teeth. Well, I mean, it was a prop for a movie, so it's not actually... I mean, it's just a dinosaur prop. No, just, I know, but like, if they're trying to make a Brontosaurus prop, like, wouldn't it be a, a leaf eater? Uh, they, yeah, they were herbivores. Yeah. Anyway... I thought that was a cool thing. I didn't know that. Like it, you know, that's that's a pretty cool fact, and I'm surprised I hadn't read anywhere. But it makes sense, though. I mean, because the crate dragons in the games all had four legs, I believe, and this mm. crate dragon, I couldn't see any legs really. Yeah, presumably um, it had none. I mean, it, it could have just had a very long neck, and that's really all that we saw. Um, there, there, any time where the back end of him would have been out, there was a lot of dust that was able to cover a lot of that up. So I think they're able to sort of cheat their way through um, designing yeah, I, I the mean, back portion. I think it ended <laughs> up being a snake in the end. Like, I, I think some some form of snake. But I liked it. I, I like that it's practical. It's, like, mm-hmm. much... I mean, not, not like, giant four-legged creatures are out of the question. Star Wars, we see uh, lots of those things elsewhere in the universe. But uh, at the same time, it's like, yeah, I mean, this thing needs to live in a desert, you know, how you don't really see a lot you see lizards in the desert i guess but not like i don't know i I liked it um i thought the battle scene with it at the end was really really fun i just love like that that jetpack action was Mm -hmm. so good when they just like it's you just i I think of those jetpacks as so clunky because of return of the jedi and like boba fett using it in that and it just seemed like cumbersome and, and, you know, like not precise, but these guys just like launch into the sky. They're moving super fast. They just land on a mountain next to this thing, like little insects next to it and Mm -hmm. trying to poke it. The effects look amazing. Like I just, like, I feel like last season there were some effects that looked really great and, but most of it was practical, I think, or, you know, practical as you can get with those things. Um, This one though, like 
the CG, it just seems like they're just like, okay, we're ready to really dump a lot into this. And we'll get into this in later episodes, I think. Um, but like, just in terms of the creature, like the textures and the movement and everything, it just, it was so good looking. Yeah. It re- I mean, I think it rivaled, if not surpassed, any of the dragon action that we saw in Game of Thrones. I think it looked great. Yeah, of course. I just, yeah. I also, I just don't know how they're doing it so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, like it takes so long to do this in like the, the world of cinema. Like these movies take years to plan out. And like, I, you know, they're just building a set for season three right now, I guess. Mm-hmm. And but we'll probably get it by next year. Like, how are yeah. they doing this stuff so fast? I don't get it. Well, it's crazy. And I, we kind of talked about this the other day. It's that they get to use all of this new technology that ILM is creating before any of the movies get to use it. Like, this is their this is the playground. They get to try a bunch of stuff out. And we've seen behind-the-scenes stuff on, on how some of this works. Like, they have those big rooms where they can do the projection on, you know, all, like, 3D surfaces and things which saves them a ton of time for locations. They can just mm-hmm. basically create their own loca- locations in studio, uh, do a lot of that stuff in house and make it look amazing really fast. Like you don't have to do as much of the, the lighting effects. If you can, you know, if you can do the outside of a cockpit using this technique, all of that is done for you. Like all the, you know, the luminosity comes off of the actual effects on screen, so to speak. And it's great. Like it, it's so cool that they get to, try all this new stuff out and that it it helps them keep on schedule in a way that they can somehow produce this once a year and they are they're they're shorter seasons right like it's eight episodes a year which in the grand scheme of things is not really all that much um but because this is a science fiction show of that size it is it is still pretty impressive and i I, just before we continue on this i just want to add because i i happened to click on uh crate dragon on wikipedia from the chapter nine article i was looking at and mm-hmm. there are apparently two subspecies i i need to check on the the canonicity of this but there's yeah. the canyon trait crate dragon which has four legs and has a yellow brown camouflage skin pattern five horn crown ridge and uh face armored with dermal plate bones as lo- as well as a, st- a studded tail which i think is maybe the one that you're familiar with and then there's the greater crate dragon which is the rare subspecies on tattooing which is the one that we saw on screen. Uh, I wish they would just go for it, you know, and you know, I guess that maybe it's like an elephant or something like that, where it's like, okay, there's this type of elephant or like a bug, I guess is more likely where it's like, oh, there can be different types of this bug or whatever. But I, I wish they would just, you know, commit to, to one or something like that, you know, like, cause you know, having four legs versus a snake type thing is like, that's a pretty big difference in a species. You know, you'd want, I don't know, maybe it's just slang. Maybe crate dragon is just like, kind of like a, like a kraken or something like that. It can be anything. Right. Yeah. As, as long as it's kind of scary and in the ocean and wet, you know. Um, Not a lot of scientists on tattooing, I would imagine. Uh, some vapor um, moisture farm scientists, probably some good engineers. <laughs> agricultural scientists. Yeah, agricultural scientists, exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing I do like about this new season, and maybe this is the case last season, I just wasn't paying attention, um, is the idea that they're kind of using... There's no time allotted for these things. You know, maybe it's less than an hour, but like, mm-hmm. and maybe episode one was like an hour long episode because it's the season from season premiere or whatever. But I feel like we got a 50 something minute episode, episode one, episode two is in the forties, I want to say. And then this episode three was like 30 something minutes. And I don't mind it. I like mm-hmm. it. I like that they're t- like telling a story in the time that they need to tell it. Um, it nothing seems excessive. And it seems to be enough. 
Right. It takes the time it needs. Right. And and I think, you know, when you have a, a, a networked TV show that you would see normally on like with commercials or whatever, because um, I mean, that's where the show would have landed if Disney hadn't, you know, started its own streaming platform, it would have ended up on ABC or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, trying to fill that 50, that 48 minutes with four commercial breaks or whatever is just like a, it's either a chore or it's too like stifled, um, depending on the type of show. I mean, what's that, there's a sitcom that like, is like the shortest sitcom. I think it was the Big Bang Theory, um, but it was like 16 to 18 minutes of television was all, that was one episode of the Big Bang Theory or something. Hmm. And the rest of it was all commercials because that's just what they could get away with. And I think when it, like when you don't have to make TV like that to fill like to fit with commercial breaks or whatever because there are no commercials break there's no like but there's wipes I guess Lucas wipes and things but like there's no fade to black and like transitions and pickups from where you left off that you would see in a traditional TV show and I don't know I just I just like the idea that these people can write these scripts and I'm sure a lot hits the cutting room floor but at the same time they're just like yeah I know we like this and let's commit to it it's it's fine we don't have to get rid of like killing your darlings does not seem like something they have to deal with here. And I like that. Yeah, I, it, it is nice. Like they, it's their world. They can do whatever they want in it. And I, I think we've probably talked about in the past about how they make TV a little bit differently in the UK. And they're all about making it just as long as it needs to be. And usually that's in the, the conversation of like how many seasons or series there are of a show. Um, and they're not afraid to kill something off once they're you know they're sure the story is done they don't need to continue doing seasons as long as people are clamoring for it because they know that in the long term especially now in the streaming age when you can get away with making two seasons and they'll continue to be streamed on netflix or whatever um they'll kill it off and it's done and so it's cool that on disney plus they're able to you know they'll probably do that for this show and they're able to do that for every episode. It's just as long as it needs to be. It allows the writers a little more freedom. They don't have to like fill space. They don't have to cut good stuff um, in order to stay on time. And it doesn't matter because you don't have, you know, an hour block that you have to fill in some way on a TV station. So, yeah, it's it's greatly appreciated and it's cool because it, it gives them the, the freedom to add little tiny moments with, you know, Tusken Raiders and Bantha teeth brushing. And, uh, and you know, the other stuff that could just kind of get cut out because it doesn't necessarily need to be there. Well, that's the thing is that like you, when you're watching a, an hour long or if you're watching a 30 minute long show, you can kind of like you get that feeling when things are starting to wrap up or when they're hitting, you know, certain story points, the arcs, like mm-hmm. when you're hitting the climax, you know, what's like what the, when the following action starts. And then like with episode one, I was just like, this is going on for a while. And like you know, they they find this crate dragon. I'm like, I'm expecting the episode to end. Like, I don't know how long this Tatooine arc is going to be, you know, watching the first episode. So it's right. like the crate dragon shows up, eats the bantha. And I'm like thinking like, they're going to look at each other and be like, let's get this thing. And it's credits roll next time on Mandalorian or whatever. And I'm expecting that, but they actually just go for it. They do the whole thing. They give you Boba Fett at the end, uh, whatever that's going to mean in the future. And they roll the credits and I'm like, wow, that was just, that wasn't like half the length of a star Wars feature film. You know, it's just, right. And that was just one episode of television, um, effects pretty much on par with what they're doing in these films. And like, I, I just, I'm just so happy that they get to do this. You know, it seems like a really, really great thing to be a part of for them. And they're sort of self-contained, right? Like we, we alluded to monster of the week style TV shows before, 
but mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Like I can, you can put on any one of these episodes and it's fine to watch on its own. And I've done that. Like, I, I think I've yeah. probably, I watched the second episode of this at least one more time than the rest because I, I like that episode. It's just <laughs> a fun one to put on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it gives you more flexibility in watching it. It has more lasting power. Um, it really allows you to just kind of live in whatever space he's in at that time. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, what do you think about baby Yoda in this one? Right. Like baby Yoda, the breakout star of season one. Um, really, we haven't really gotten a whole lot of new stuff from baby Yoda this year. It's just sort of, um, new sets and new things to eat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if that's intentional because they just realized the, the breakoutness of that character and how he, I mean, it can't talk. So right. like how much more can you get out of this besides it doing cute things, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. like the first episode when he, you know, shit's about to go down at that boxing ring or whatever, that battle arena and baby Yoda, like sees like the Mandalorian <laughs> threaten those people and just goes, Oh, like presses out. the button. Yeah. yeah. He presses the button. The thing closes up on him. That was a f- adorable. And that's that's pretty much the extent of what that character can do now because we know it's super powerful we know it has the ability to heal we know it has the ability to like take a rhinoceros in the air and hold it and you know whatever else it did last season that was insane but at the same time it's really helpless you know like it got taken by those stormtroopers on those bikes at the end of last season and like it kind of gets taken for a ride and at the same and like you have to balance out the massive power of this thing that doesn't really know what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think giving it a backseat this season, I mean, again, we're only three episodes deep. Yeah. Um, I mean, one episode is almost entirely in babysitting for the, it's being babysat. Yeah. So um, I think that, I, I, I mean, we'll get to that, but I think it would be exhausting if this creature was always in the arms of the Mandalorian the entire season. And, uh, it's kind of, it's like a, it's like a follower in a video game. You know, it's mm. like when you're tasked with having like an NPC, it just kind of sucks. Um, yeah. And it just weighs the character down <laughs> and it, it adds a gameplay element, but it becomes tiring if you have to deal with it for too long. And I think that's right. kind of what baby Yoda, AKA the child is. I, I like that you bring up the, the boxing match scene because the action that he takes when he kind of pops out and switches the button and then pops back in it reminds me of those useless machines are you familiar with this concept mm, no, no they're mechanical devices like usually in sort of some sort of wooden box and you can like flip a switch and the box will open up and like a little finger will come out and switch the the switch back the opposite way and then close like its only oh, yeah, purpose yeah. is to do the opposite of what the person just did with it and that's sort of what Yoda is, baby Yoda is in this. Uh, the child sort of does nothing. Um, it just sort of follows along. Last season, we did get like a little bit of force action, right? And I think that's the tension that we're going to see for the, the rest of the season. And I, I you see a lot of that in episode two. We're like, surely, okay, like the situation is really dire. There's a ton of spiders. Um, the Mandalorian and the other two characters are, are trapped in the cockpit. Like that's the last place that they have to hide. And there doesn't seem to be any hope. And then you see that spider coming down on baby Yoda and you're like, okay, he's going to, he's going to use the force and something amazing is going to happen. And he doesn't, they, they break that tension by having the frog lady uh, shoot the spiders, which is cool too. But I think that's the tension we're going to continue seeing because we're like, we're all expecting that moment again. We're all waiting for baby Yoda to not be useless and to actually do something. So I, I think that's kind of fun. 
And that's I you. think having that like little carrier destroyed, I think that's also fun <laughs> because he was able to just yeah. sort of use that to, you know, take care of the kid as he did whatever he had to do. But now that's gone. He just has to carry the thing around again. And that obviously makes things a lot harder. But as soon as that went away, I was like, okay, well, I mean, he's just going to buy another one. Money seems to be no object for the, for the Mandalorian. He's just like tossing credits willy-nilly to get his ship fixed and to wow, buy enough. off people and look for information. So I just think he's going to find another one. It'll, it'll be one of those unexplained kind of things that pops back up next season or next episode, rather. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. And so anything else on this first episode? Obviously, there's a lot of Bantha action, which is really exciting for me. Yeah, and we love the Banthas here at Bantha Fodder. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, a lot of great Banthas. Um. <laughs> I, think, I think seeing the Tusken Raiders in the light that we were shown is also good. I think yes. after seeing this a couple times, re-watching, um, is it episode two or episode three, <laughs> where Annie goes home? Um, two. Yeah, I think that's going to hit even more hard than it did before like you feel for the tuscan raiders like you're meant to feel sympathy when anakin kills all of the the people even the the women and the children um sure but this gives them a little more humanity like they're not they're not savages like you know all of the people of tattooing would believe like they, they even explain that like these people live a really hard life like the elements are brutal and they've survived you know in spite of that so well you haven't played knights of the old republic right no Okay, so, I mean, first of all, you need to play that game. Um, second of all, um, yeah, I, I know I keep bringing it up in this episode, but that's really, like, a lot of Tatooine in that game. Yeah. So um, you, you learn a lot. You get a lot of Tusken Raider lore on Tatooine in Knights of the Old Republic, and I think that, again, is homage. Like, this episode is homage to that in the sense that, like, they're humanizing these characters. You know, in, in Knights of the Republic, you are communicating with them. Yeah. You know, you are speaking to these Tusken Raiders. You're going into their settlements and either ransacking them or, you know, befriending them, playing by their rules or annihilating them. It's like, Do they it's, have sign language in the game? Uh, no, I mean, it's 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 very low quality. Sure. Like, it's just yeah. a lot of grunting okay. um, using a protocol <laughs> droid to interact. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, man. That's interesting. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, but it's, it's, Again, the homage is there, and it's for a reason, and I think it's, it does good because the, the depictions that we have, yes, we're meant to feel sympathy for the for the women and the children that are slain by Anakin, but we're, they're also only di- displayed as savages pretty much in um, episodes two and uh, four. <laughs> um, yeah, it, they're just seen as adversaries to our main characters, and yeah, you're right. Humanizing them is great, but also, yeah, just giving them a society is is wonderful, and it's just, it's nice. It's nice. It's, it's, it's a more tolerant Star Wars universe. Yeah. I felt bad about the Gamorreans in the beginning of the episode. Oh, yeah. That we're fighting in. And that's really because, you know, I'm thinking back to my X-Wing novels, and there was a pilot in that squadron uh, who was a Gamorrean. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he was probably an experiment, I think. Yeah. Um, that was like a Gamorrean given more intelligence or whatever, something like that. But they, his nickname was Piggy. Um, oh. And like... Yeah, but like, and he's given a lot of shit. But he was he was smart. He was intelligent, and he was a good pilot. Um, so I just think it's really funny, um, and I feel bad when you know, like, the, you see these depictions of these other races in Star Wars. And like, the only other time we saw them was in Episode Six, Return of the Jedi, when they're being killed by the Rancor or whatever. Um, so it's it's just again, you know, like it's a missed opportunity to kind of break the stereotypes that we see in Star Wars. But you know, 
I'm sure we'll get there at some point. I mean, what other species are you going to have fighting it out? Like they're these big tough guys. Like you got to throw something in the ring to to sort of draw. Right. I mean, they were built to be. Right. They were designed to be that way. Um, I mean, I kind of want to see the mini rancors from um, Knights of the Old Republic. That would be kind of fun. Oh, so now you're okay with subspecies. No, they're rancors. They're just smaller. They're like baby <laughs> rancors. Anyway, okay. Um, I feel like that's good. I mean, tell me, I feel like I talk about Oliphant, you know, like he's just... Oh, yeah, Josh DeBell. Just, oh, <laughs> stop that. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. They're definitely, they're definitely different brands of, like, one is, one is, like, grade A actor, um, just, you know, chef's kiss. The other is, like, you know, the, the online subscription service brand of that. I don't, but I don't know who is who. You say that, but I don't know which is which. <laughs> Just look at their filmographies, dude, okay? But, okay, wh- one thing I really did like <laughs> with him in this episode was uh, when he actually got to use the jetpack to fire off the the missile. That was rad. That was so cool. I'm so glad they did that. Yeah. Did I mean, did you call the... Um, uh, side side note, did you call the moment when he let the guy get away with the jetpack at the beginning? Of uh, episode two? Episode one. I think that was the, the first scene of episode two. Oh, it was. You're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, cut, I didn't call that. it. So, <laughs> I didn't call it, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, I mean, that was just so fun watching that thing. Like, he was letting him run away. I'm like, he's just going to press the button. He's just going to press the button. And he did it. It was great. Like, part of me thinks, like, if he, if, if that bandit would would have just taken anything else, he would have been fine. He would have just been free to go. Like, the Mandalorian can't do anything, you know, with all that junk anyway. Like, sure, have it. <laughs> but because he wanted to take the jetpack <laughs> he's just like you know what this is an opportunity for a little bit of fun and also i'm kind of fond of that thing <laughs> yeah of course he's not gonna That's let it go stuff. but yeah i mean uh, back to oliphant like i just think his hair just looking so good in outer space yeah. like you know how, how is on a planet like that how are you gonna have hair that good looking it's just it's it's uncanny it's beautiful he's just a beautiful man he's got that saunter we hate movies kind of they were like as soon as he appeared in the doorway like i just knew exactly who it was at that moment because there's only he there's only one dude that walks that way and kind of fills out armor and clothes that way like that it was just him like before he took the helmet off we knew it was him mm-hmm. um i mean i didn't but they did i guess and he just but he does have that kind of like that awkwardness look remember i we i think privately we talked about um like the mandalorian in season one or maybe it was my another group of friends that i was talking about it with but like how his armor he just looks sort of uncomfortable in his armor in season one at at times um first of all because i'm sure it is super cumbersome to wear that stuff and just walk around in that heavy ass armor um or just prop armor and not be able to see and your helmet's fogging up or whatever um but yeah he he it, he looks better this season, but he looked really uncomfortable last season walking around. Like, it didn't fit him exactly. It looked like he was wearing a really high-quality Halloween costume, but he looked like a cosplayer, like mm-hmm. you'd see at Comic-Con, who like, just doesn't get the fit right. Like, somebody, like those people in Spider-Man costumes that probably should not be in skin-tight <laughs> Spider-Man costumes. You know who I'm talking sure. about. And, like, there was a variation of that with Oliphant, where he's just like... But I think it was a point, because he's not wearing his own armor. He's just wearing stuff that he bought off the Jawas. But it was more about just, like, he just looks like he's just got like a load in his pants or something like the way he's walking <laughs> in the way that like that red shirt billows. Out. Yeah. He's just like, he looks like a fallout character pretty much. And I thought it was great and I loved it. And I loved his calmness when he gets into like, when, you know, Mandalorian draws like a, a gun on him and is like, give me the armor. And he's just kind of like sitting in the bartender's like, should we do anything about this? I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, I, I do have to say like narratively kind of the flashback 
um, to his capture and everything was pretty much like it was. I mean, there's there's a lot that's uncharacteristic of, of Star Wars in this, and I'm mm. again, I'm okay with it, and I'm adjusting to it. But what I'm I'm just pointing out that like it sort of is uncharacteristic in the same way that like Ray's Force Vision. Uh, in episode uh, seven was kind of uncharacteristic for a Star Wars movie. It's like the first time we're kind of seeing like a meta thing. And like in this, like having a flashback with a voiceover narration is sort of foreign to me. And again, it's just new stuff that they're given to us and new devices that they're using. And, you know, especially if they're going for the Western thing, that's kind of like a big thing in Westerns is flashbacks. It's, it's just, it's, it's interesting. It takes me out of it a little bit, but I think mm-hmm. that's something we're going to have to get used to because I think if we've learned anything from the sequel trilogy, it's that like you need to kind of break some conventions or else you're going to feel like it's going to feel too much like a repeat yeah. and it's going to feel too boxed in if you don't start expanding the way you're making something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just how I feel about about the flashback. You brought up one other thing the other day that you said kind of took you out of it, which was that scene where the two, you know, the Mandalorian and, and Cobb Vanth are riding across the desert on their speeders and just having a normal conversation. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for bringing that up because that, it, that was a huge pet peeve of mine. And I think they've done it in the, in the last season too, I feel like, but this one was especially egregious to me. Just, I mean, you and I both enjoy sound quite a bit. I do a lot of sound design on the podcast I work on and I listen to a lot of podcasts with good sound design and something that really took me out was that the fact that these two characters were just traveling at however many miles an hour <laughs> uh, through a desert with speeder bike engines that are pretty loud and they're just casually talking to each other. And I know that this is, it's how they're producing it. Like it's, it's, it's a fact that these two guys are just sitting on a stage with I don't even know if there was a fan blowing like I could I can't remember but like it, it just so indicative of how they're making this show and that's like the only limitation I can see is that like they're really not putting these guys out into a thing and having them know what it's like to go that fast and talk to each other yeah. it just I just don't understand how you could be speaking in a voice that we're speaking to now while going that fast on engines that are super loud especially when it could be so easily fixed by both of them just wearing the mandalorian helmets that presumably have some sort of voice communication inside (laughs) right like yeah or just shouting like (laughs) even if they were just yelling at each other like that's all like i don't know what it would have taken on the set or like what what director on the set framing that shot and like lining that up and having these actors act it out was like oh they should be yelling at each other Mm -hmm. like it's not like, you know, it's it's just, it was, uh, I think, like, if, the only thing that yeah. I was like, that is just something that should not be in this episode. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's not an opinion. I mean, I guess, sorry, it is an opinion. It's very, it's an opinion. It's, it's straight a filmmaking choice. But it's, it, but it's like a technical thing. It's not, it's not even like, oh, they should have used practical or they should have used visual on this. It's just like, it's a, it's not even a filmmaking choice. It's a physical thing. <laughs> it's like, and I know that we're ignoring physics because they're flying speeder bikes, you know, like, so sure, sure. Right. Like physics are. But even within the world of Star Wars, like there are limits, right? Like, of course, like we have yes. to do things that allow for the imagination to, to, you know, work, to make this 
its own yeah. thing. Like you don't you don't have the guys of the force, like you know, like Leia in space in, in Last Jedi, you know, like you don't have like, oh, she's in like a force bubble, she's using the force to protect her from the vacuum of space or whatever. Like you don't even have that at your disposal here because you have two essentially non force sensitive characters. So like it's not like they can just be like turning off the wind or something. I don't right. really know. I mean, it's just like, like in the past in, in space there have like there is sound right like they're not supposed to be sound but we hear sound when they're shooting things right explosions in space you're right there's explosions in space jet engines but i always was able to explain that out because i thought i was hearing things from within the cockpit you know what i mean like there there is sound within the cockpit because there is air there is oxygen you can hear things from within the cockpit so whenever there was like that sort of muted pew pew I always thought, okay, well, surely that is the sound of, of something from within the cockpit. And I can explain that out. But yes. you can't do that so much on a speeder bike going 70 plus miles an hour. You're right. And that's exactly it. It's just like, there's like, I mean, I've been reading because I've been really into Star Wars, like squadrons, and I haven't been playing it because I don't have a GPU. Thanks to all the scalpers buying them. Um, but yeah, it's just like, in general... I, I've been reading a lot of squadron stuff and watching a lot of squadron stuff and like learning about the space flight in Star Wars and how in the universe of Star Wars, there's this ether in space that like creates drag. It's a theory pretty much, but like, you know, I think it's pretty much the only thing that's why ships can move the way they are and why sound and everything happens because there is an ether in this universe that kind of just gives resistance to these things and air and, and like explosions or whatever. Um, and, I just don't know how that works with sound because like you in, in rise of Skywalker, you had that chase scene on that planet um, when they're on the speeders and the jetpacks and everything like that. And they're yelling at each other. They got the wind in their face. And so like, clearly it's not a atmospheric thing on Tatooine. We have, you know, like pod racing that happens with super loud stuff. And we know sound is a thing. And it's just like, to me, that's just like a huge oversight. It's not even like a, it's not even a artistic choice. It's just, that's just somebody being like, oh, we should have them just yelling. I think it's, they probably filmed it. If I had to guess what happened, they filmed it. They got to the editing bay and they realized that like, oh, they're on speeder bikes and we didn't have them yelling. <laughs> and like, ah, so, and somebody was like, this is stupid. And someone's like, yeah, well, why don't we just have them ADR? And it's like, you can't ADR yelling right. over somebody talking. <laughs> if the only footage they have is uh, Oliphant just being like, well, you know what? I did this thing. Blah, 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 blah. Like, it's like you can't <laughs> just ADR in somebody yelling. ADR is a uh, dubbing over uh, that happens a lot in movies. And it's pretty much how Pedro Pascal's entire role is done <laughs> um, in the show. Um, but yeah, it's like it, you can't ADR somebody shouting. And I feel like that was just with, they're like, okay, we can't bring him in for pickups. It would be too expensive and we're too close to deadline to bring Oliphant back in to just to do a reshoot and have him yell at this. You know, even if we just did like a, a like a neck up kind of of him, um, it would take us out. Like, I just, I just don't know why they couldn't have figured the shouting thing yeah. out. And, Nobody else has thought about this. <laughs> I somebody has to have there has to be some other star wars podcast out there that's ranting um leave it in the comment section if you <laughs> leave it in the review if you also feel this way about that shouting if you noticed it but yeah it just it's just like a it's a thing for me is noticing when like sound is really bad yeah. um and the sound wasn't bad that's the thing is like if sound doesn't match your picture that's your biggest issue uh, well, it's like when they have really long shots in movies. I'm trying to think of what I saw recently where, like, it was a super long shot. Like, the characters are super far away, but they had lav mics on because they're far enough away that you wouldn't be able to mm -hmm. see them. Um, 
and like it sounds like you're right standing right next to them but the shot's probably done from like 100 feet away and i love that and that works because it sounds like you're right next to them and like that's not a matter of like the picture matching the sound it's just like i mean it sort of is matching the sound but it's it's just like that the the idea of two people talking casually while moving that fast is just so so not correct right. well i mean if you're if you're 100 meters away or whatever or 100 yards away like you couldn't if if you did it realistically if you mic that realistically you wouldn't be able to hear what they're saying and that wouldn't be good movie making but at least on a bike right. yeah. yeah you can yell <laughs> and that works right they could be shouting at each other and it would make yeah. sense for why they're doing yeah. it i don't know okay thank you so much for bringing that up though, because <laughs> if i had if i had not been able to talk about that and let that out i would have exploded like i would have just i wouldn't have known why it would be like you know next wednesday i would have exploded random i'm like oh shit it's because right. i didn't well, get to I, vent about this sound i didn't want you to have to ADR episode. this later this week well, you would have to actually, you'd have to um, use like a vocoder yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Episode two. We've talked way too long about the yeah. first episode. Episode two. Well, just, I mean, I just want to talk about the most important part to me, which was the the the, the space chase. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So good, I think you told dude. me that this, this reminded you of the Squadron short that came out before the game. Yes. Squadron, Star Wars Squadron, the video game um, had a short uh, film, I guess you could call it like a five minute or so promo for the game featured a lot of like atmospheric flight space flight dog fighting uh between a tie interceptor and an x-wing um you know war's over imp was a great line from mm -hmm. that uh really took off as a meme in the star wars squadrons community not really else on the internet though um and uh this i feel like the same exact team that did that short probably worked on this this yeah. scene because it was just so good <laughs> yeah it was i mean it's it's awesome any kind of you know atmospheric flight in star wars is definitely fun like anything in space is cool um but no matter which direction they're facing it is just the background of space uh which sort of looks the same but when you're within an atmosphere you have a sense of what's up and down and um you know you have different particles in the air and all sorts of things so anything like that is always appreciated and it's always a good time canyons are always fun <laughs> so we got some ice canyons this time which is neat yeah just i mean just seeing the maneuverability of those x-wings mm -hmm. is just so fun to me and like i i, I because we didn't talk about this last season we didn't we haven't talked about the razor crest or is it razor's crest it's just razor crest the razor crest the razor crest the razor crest okay um the mandalorian ship i think it looks like a piece of <laughs> i hate it i i just don't like the design of that ship it looks like something out of a different series but it is what it is, um, and I think that's the point. I think it's supposed to look like a hunk of junk that can do a lot more than um, it promises. Just by looking, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, the Falcon looks cool, dude. Um, but yeah, um, being able to see that thing just do its like we, again, we'll get to it in episode three. But um, yeah, we see a lot of cool stuff: maneuverability, um, the durability of the ship kind of varying mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean this ship gets banged up a lot like we've seen the falcon in disarray the razor crest gets torn apart multiple times <laughs> yeah the fact that he's able to put it back together and that it functions that it can continue to do the sorts of maneuvers that he's able to do with it pretty impressive yeah i mean at the end of this episode like every every episode after the first one it's like i can't imagine this thing flying again like I'm just like oh this is this is the episode where he finally gets rid of the razor crest like thank God you mm -hmm. know, um, but they just patch it up and he keeps going. 
it is amazing that he's able to stay so focused because he like you would think that he'd just get so worn down <laughs> like every little monster of the week episode something happens that you know knocks him out ruins his armor messes up his ship it it's it's a lot to deal with it feels like he's constantly it's it's almost like um you know it's like a, a video game where after a mission you have to go back to town and restock on supplies because he, he just gets all messed up that's something that i feel like they're they're constantly playing with this in this show is how sure of himself the mandalorian is because he, he can't emote mm-hmm. he really like you you have a sense of his history and you know that he's skilled at what he does but he often finds himself in instances where he has bitten off more than he can chew and he gets saved by something um and i feel like what was I watching recently? I was watching something recently where I just, I was loving it because of how awesome the main character was, how invincible they seemed. And I was like, well, this is what I've been waiting for is like a character that is just really boss and kind of just can't get stopped. Oh, shoot. I'm going to remember what it is like after we finish recording. Um, and I was just really into it by how, oh, okay. You know what it was? The Queen's Gambit. <laughs> Have you watched it? Yet? No. Have you watched it? Okay, I highly recommend it because it's basically a Marvel movie about chess um, or like a sports movie about chess. And it's just very captivating. But this main character just slays constantly and she is amazing and smart and brilliant. She rarely loses. They rarely show her losing. They do have the you know the plot devices of her like, you know, falling down and get picking herself back up, mm-hmm. whatever. But I was just so excited to watch a character who is just dominating on screen because I feel like a lot of television, they want to show you the conflict. They want to show you somebody like being weak and and getting strong or whatever um but you know what i loved about the queen's gambit was just that she was always strong and just kind of always won uh, except when she was hurting herself you know and like with the mandalorian getting back to what we're actually talking about like i they show too many glimpses of him um like getting the getting bested mm-hmm. i guess is the way to put it um i mean he does come out on top every time so i guess that kind of shows it but like I don't want to jump to episode three yet, but in that episode he gets bested and he is saved by somebody. And like, what was this rest? What would have happened if they weren't there? You know, right. um, it's a, it's a weird thing. And this is an episode where I really feel like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that comes up for him a lot. And I don't know what the idea of that is. Is it, you know, for the audience to, to think that his, his quest is going to be a lot harder than you would think, or that he's not as great as we, we think he is. He's obviously like, he's obviously amazing at what he does. You know, he, he seems very confident in his own skills, but is it his overconfidence that gets him into these situations or is it just that the universe is hard? You know, like these worlds are tough. Um, even the the water planets where all they do is fish, like they're, they're hard worlds where you run into characters that want to take advantage of you and they want to rob you of, of what you have to make their own lives better. I think that's probably more what it is. I think it's just to keep drilling home just how tough the universe is especially you know in the wake of the empire basically destroying everything and taking over the economy and then you know being destroyed and like having all of that disarray after all the order disappears i think it's just meant to to reinstill just how tough that is and but at the same time he's also getting bested by nature constantly so <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting but i think it, it it adds tension to the show and i don't think it's it really it doesn't make me think that he's any less capable. It just makes me, you know, it, it reminds me that things are tough and that it's not going to be an easy quest getting this kid back to wherever he's supposed to be. 
Yeah, I think it's really just the the dumb the dummy in me that wants to see like a, a superhero who just you know is awesome and can't be stopped because I'm t- I'm just so it's so exasperating seeing people fail on screen mm-hmm. you know like current events you know I just I need something positive I need to feel good and it's so hard and I think like it's it's very stupid of me but I just well it's a push and pull you have to have that like like how awesome it's a push and pull but the queen's gamut did really well because it's just she's mostly pushing (laughs) if the ratio i need like a 90 percent win ratio for my characters to really feel good about it um but you know but it doesn't it doesn't make it a bad thing it doesn't mean i don't love Mm -hmm. it it just means that like uh, i just wish i i want to feel awesome about him and i do most of the time it's just but it's just like i guess it it just humanizes him too much and i want us to think of him as superhuman i guess well, he has those moments like that, like that bit in uh, chapter 11, episode three of the season where he just like grabs, he like activates two thermal detonators and then just straight up runs through blaster fire, like heavy repeaters. That was pretty cool. I love yeah. it. I love it. It's so good. He, yeah, I mean, there, there are, mo- he has moments and I'm sure he's going to get it. We're only three deep yeah. in this season. Um, but I mean, just in general. Yeah. Um, so chapter 10, he, he is definitely a fallible. Yeah. Um, this this episode starts on Tatooine. Uh, he you know he goes back to to Amy Sedaris's character and um, helps her win a bunch of money, and she sort of tricks him into a bunch of things. And one of those things is to 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 provide transport to a frog lady. Uh, I don't know if this frog lady has a, a species that we're aware of yet. Um, it was the first. I mean, their language is called frog. They are. <laughs> Just called Frogman Speaks in Frog right. is the subtitle that I get when he talks. So like I just don't. <laughs> so if there's a canonical really name know. in the in like the holocron or something, I'm I'm not sure what it is yet. But so you've got this this frog creature who needs transport to this planet, um, and I, I they're going they're going to Trask is the name of the the estuary moon, where her husband is sort of found a home for them they can like fertilize their eggs and like raise a family there it's one of the very few planets where this can happen for the species and uh this is like her last chance to to have spawn so the stakes are high for this character and the mandalorian begrudgingly you know agrees to take her despite the fact that he cannot fly at light speed because it will for some reason kill the eggs luckily the eggs have something else to take care of them (laughs) uh how uneasy did you feel in this episode? Because I felt very uneasy with what Baby Yoda was doing. Oh, for sure. Like you know, it's a baby, so I can't, I can't fault it because it's a baby who, who is hungry. Um, but I did feel easy when the Mandalorian decided to like keep that information <laughs> from from the yeah. lady. Like that was like really awkward. It's Listen, like, lady, like, how many did you eat? <laughs> And you can you can hear the frog mom upstairs like crying out, and he's like, "No, it's all good." <laughs> like it was, I just I felt weird because like I mean I guess unless you're like a strict vegan, you really shouldn't have a problem with it because they're not fertilized yet, right? The husband hasn't fertilized the frog right. lady's eggs, right? So they're just you know grocery store eggs, but but they are like potential spawn, right? But, I and mean, it's not like a chicken, where like a chicken is yeah. going to continue laying eggs. Like they set out from the beginning that this is the last chance that this frog lady has to have children, which is like you know, we don't know how endangered this frog species is, so that kind of ups the stakes too. It was just so lighthearted in terms of like how they're treating Yoda 
Baby Yoda killing these? Uh, can, is he killing? I feel like I'm getting into the whole vegan debate. You know, it's no, just like no. Is he is he killing these things? Because like vegans won't eat it, eggs. It's not that he's like killing a living thing per se. It's that he's killing the the potential potential for life. Right uh, now, so now he's a uh, so now I'm a pro lifer now. Like this sucks. <laughs> like I hate. Well, this it's shit. that he does it so nonchalantly. Um, he's just popping them in like whoppers. I yeah. Well, it's and it's also just like. Because it, it, the scales of the weight of the situation, like if that frog lady saw him do that, yeah. she would be like, oh She'd my be God. ballistic, but she oh, doesn't like, know what's happening at all because apparently she doesn't keep count. Well, it's not even ballistic. It's like you couldn't, like it would, the, the music, like the, the treatment of that action, if the frog lady's watching it, it's like you're watching an, like a, her baby be murdered on screen basically. Right. But the way they treat it is like, he's just eating, like he, she's like, oh, it was like you're eating my groceries or something <laughs> like that. That's the way they're treating it in the show. But it's so, like the weight of the two actions depending on who is beholding the action is totally different. And it's it's like almost like monstrous in a way. And it, it that's what made me uneasy as just watching this yeah. thing. I'm like, oh my God, he's doing this awful thing to this person. But-, but nobody but it's just like slapstick i guess like it also creates the sort of inside joke dynamic that plays out in episode three when he brings the the child back to the frog couple to babysit and he like gives him that talking to and he's like you know what i'm talking about like don't don't eat the eggs he doesn't have to say it because he doesn't want the lady to know that it happened but he he's talking to the kid and the kid you know presumably in some way can understand what the mandalorian is saying yeah and so they have that sort of uh not inside joke, but you know, they they both know something that somebody else doesn't, which sort of makes them closer. Mm-hmm. So it, it does add it does add that while also adding this like really weird tension. It's like, oh, is she gonna find out that she's he's been eating these things the whole time? Because you know, there's there's always that that look <laughs> that he keeps giving the container. Yeah, I think part of me was hoping that they were going to be like, oh, it's fine if you eat them. Like I I was hoping that the mother would be like, I don't care. But I just think that she would have really cared. Well, of course she and would. And that to me is like, that to me is like the weirdest part of that. And that's that's just that unsettled feeling that I got the whole time uh, watching Baby Yoda. I think the feeling that people get probably varies based on their understanding of like amphibian or reptile life cycles. Because if you think about like a turtle, a turtle lays like, you know, 70 to 150 eggs or something. And then of those, only so many are actually going to hatch. And then of those, only of the, so many of them are going to make it to the ocean. And then of those, sure. only so many of them are going to survive to create their own spawn. So it's sort of that thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, every <laughs> single one you eat is taking away the the chance that, you know, that was, that was the one of 20 that was going to get fertilized and, and, you know, created into an actual living creature. And in episode three, where we see the payoff of that, we see like the little tadpole, born um there's only one of them that's not to say that there aren't more but they only show us one of them actually being hatched um (laughs) so yeah the it it does add some interesting tension to the show that's a little bit different than anything else that we get but uh i love that first scene where the child is is pushing his face up against the glass i think the lighting of that shot was incredible like the combination of colors was just like superb was he drawing them the eggs to yeah. him with the force the, there was that subtle like, yeah, subtle were... little pull yeah. which i thought was cool um nice the score for that scene was really neat that's maybe like one of my favorite scenes of of this season so far it's just like a very short little shot of of the child alone with these eggs but so much of it was awesome mm-hmm. i just i really enjoyed the whole mood i guess one thing i have about that like what happens to that batch of eggs 
Like if they're the last of their mm-hmm. species, those kids are kind of doomed, right? Unless they're like it's incestual or something like that. Like it's okay to be like that in their in their species. Like I don't know because I, I feel like yep. that batch of kids is. I mean, they're doomed, <laughs> right? I it's you know Adam and Eve's kids. It's <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, that's a different podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like one thing we should talk about with this episode, because I feel like we could go for a while on it and uh, probably want to get out of the way, is that article you sent me about um, like the, the depiction of the rebellion or the New Republic in this episode. Is, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So the, the Verge has apparently been doing a series on the, the Mandalorian. They call it the Verge Guide to the Mandalorian. And they, they apparently did, um, you know, several articles for season one and they're doing it for season two as well the article that they wrote for this one sort of irks me because they're they're trying to make this point that geez how do i want to put this i mean let's quote the article so but they're saying time and time again a time again star wars fans have come to associate the action as the prelude to the epic space battles and daring dogfight but here the action becomes sinister the republic isn't on the mandalorian side and those x-wings aren't looking to save the galaxy they're preparing to gun down the bounty hunter baby yoda and the frog lady and her eggs that the mandalorian is transporting so what so what this author is trying to say the writer here is trying to say is that the New Republic is the bad guys because they're just willing to kill anything without even thinking about it. Right. And it it kind of frames them as like police because that's basically what they are now. Right. And so they're trying to make this point that they're not the good guys that you remember. But I also don't, I don't think that the points that they're illustrating make them bad guys and you can get into, it's too meta. It really does get too meta, but they're trying to say, yeah, like they're preparing to gun down the bounty hunter, baby Yoda and the frog lady and her eggs that the Mandalorian is transporting. But the the fault in this logic is that they don't know that there's anybody but the Mandalorian in the ship. They're not making the choice to gun down a frog lady because they don't know that she's there. So I, I, I don't think that point works. And what bothers me the most about this article, and I, I won't harp on it because it's it's not really that important. And I, I usually don't read these things, but it, it popped up because I, I thought they were going to reinforce an idea that I had while watching it. And they did it, but they did it completely wrong. And it's because at the end of this episode, when, you know, after the Mandalorian has has restarted the ship and they're able to to take off before the big spider comes back and pulls them back down, they're saved by these two X-Wing pilots who were like hunting for them at the beginning, you know, trying to chase them down, trying mm-hmm. to pull them over basically <laughs> before he took off. Yeah. Um, they save him. Like they, they come in, they, they shoot all the spiders. It's great. They save the day, which is what they do because they're, heroes right but then as they have a conversation with the mandalorian he's like okay why don't you help me out with this and and we'll call it a day and they're like no how about you do it yourself and we'll leave (laughs) which is what they do they save him but then they leave him to fend for himself and they don't know that he's able to fix the ship or not like it's obviously in massive disarray uh it's barely being held together as we know he's only able to keep the cockpit safe basically so i thought that was the better example of what they were trying to say which is that it's not so black and white anymore it's not that the rebellion is you know they won it out and now good prevails and everybody that was involved with it is now like you know good guys it's i don't think it's that clear but it's also it's also not that they're now the bad guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who just want to kill innocent people and that they're doing the same thing that the empire did when they were the police 
across the galaxy. I think it's a little more gray than that, but I think the the better illustration of how they approach things now is not we're going to help you no matter what. It's that we've done our part, we're letting you off the hook, and now you have to defend for yourself. Like you have to make it on your own. And so I mm. think that was the point that they should have made in this article, and that's the only real grievance that I have. I mean, my, my grievance is like I, I want to acknowledge that the point, the overall point, is correct. Like, yes, the New Republic are now cops, basically, and they suck. Um, I don't, but and you, I want to acknowledge that you are right in the sense that, like, the writer is being like, well, they're they're getting ready to you know kill somebody who's innocent. And, you know, like, like a frog lady, last of her species, and a baby Yoda, and this bounty mm-hmm. hunter. Um, I don't think they're preparing to. They ask him multiple times to stand right. down. This is going to sound bad, because it sounds like I'm sympathizing with a cop <laughs> or something, but I'm not. I, they are cops, and they suck. Um, and the, But the reason why they are is because they are, like, it, it's it, the illustration of misappropriation of justice. And that, to me, is why... They are cops, not because they're simply just like looking to take down this bounty hunter. Um, there, they put there's like an APB out for this guy because he, it matches the description of something that was involved in like a rebellion outpost that was you know you know we need that. Um, it's the idea that they chase him down and they catch him and they have him dead to rights basically you know they pin him down and they could arrest him he's like am i under arrest he'd probably be better off if he was under arrest Mm -hmm. because he could just get taken in but they have this weird sense of like well you save one of ours and um we're just gonna let you go uh because of that and it's just like this the only reason they're letting him off the hook is because he saved one of theirs and like it's just uh, a weird like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I wanted them to arrest him. Like I, I wish they had let him off the hook because he saved that. Like I wish that they had reversed. Like maybe it would be too predictable for the story to have the Mandalorian like rescue the, the rebellions. Uh, but I think they, they just the, uh, the New Republic needs to be, you know, depicted as what this is, which is just like these cops and. I also think it helped it really what it did was hammer in the idea of don't join kind of like DJ from last Jedi, which is that like really these sides are the same. These are, these are two sides of the same coin. Like it's the empire or the new Republic. They're both going to like, maybe, maybe the empire wouldn't let you off. Maybe they'd murder you in on site uh, or whatever. They'd give you or, like an, you know, maybe you could bribe them so to speak. Like yeah. I, something tells me you wouldn't be able to necessarily bribe these two pilots, right? I don't think that that is the way right. that you'd be able to get off. They're letting you off because you've presumably done this thing that in their mind is right. This is they have some code of honor. Yeah. Um but at the same time this code of honor is like I don't really care if you live or die. I'm just not going to be the one that kills you or ruins your life basically. Mm-hmm. But it's this weird passive way of letting him possibly die. Um Rather than like, you know, giving him a hand, yeah. uh, patching up the hole, which would have been like a nice kind of like uh, Christmas, everybody's getting together and having a good old time, you know, on this snowy planet, you mm-hmm. know, like <laughs> everyone gets along the new Republic is great uh, kind of thing. I don't know. Um, so long story short, the Verge article isn't wrong. It just missed the point. I agree. So this, this episode was cool. Uh, it, it just, it was very atmospheric because most of it took place in like this, you know, this, uh, this ice cave where this big um macquarie idea of a a spider 
exists with, <laughs> with tons of eggs, which is at first a really cool thing for the child because he's starving. Um, and he's been told multiple times that he's not allowed to eat any more of the, the whoppers, but he goes after the thing, which opens up the nest and they'll come chasing after him, which leads to like a really cool, you know, and really tense scene where you've got all these spiders chasing them through the caves and then into the ship and then up into the, the cockpit where it's the only place that they're able to hide. And it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to get the, the door closed uh, until he finally uses his, um, his flamethrower to, to burn them all away and, and whatnot. But yeah, I, as far as like the, the sort of side adventures go in the series, I think this one might be my favorite. It's a really simple one. Like there's really not, um, not a whole lot to it. Not even like a ton of lore or anything, but it's just a very straightforward and fun adventure with some cool monsters in a cool place. And even the frog lady, I, I love her because while she's standing, um, you know, she seems like a very, you know, kind of doddering sort of species that can't really do a whole lot. Just kind of waddles back and forth, uh, meekly carrying along her egg tube but she reminds me of those, you know, those old school Henson creations, right? She just feels like one of those those old school creatures. Like she very much belongs. This isn't more of a, you know, a CGI uh, prequel sort of character like a Doug or um, a Gungan or something. She she makes sense. Like th- it just fits. And then in the scene where she's, you know, she waddles off and finds herself a hot tub. I, yeah. <laughs> And then when they're running away, it turns out, oh, yeah, she can she can run and leap like a frog. <laughs> and so yeah, it opens cool. up a little bit more to that character in a way that's that was pretty neat. I enjoyed so much about this episode. Like she hacked that droid, that like uh the the bounty killer droid or whatever. Mm. It was it was like monster of the week, but the quality was just so high for the effects mm-hmm. that it kind of erase that for me like it just um like there's certain points that definitely seemed you know like network television boring kind of like hokey stuff like the when she's in the hot tub and she puts her clothes on in like two seconds did you pick up on that moment where she's like oh she didn't she like use her tongue to like you know grab it and pull it back to her like off screen I don't know, but maybe there was a sound effect that indicated that. But all I know is he's like, get dressed. And she like two seconds later, she's just like fully in her robes. And I was like, all right, this is like a little too Power Rangers for me. I don't really know what's going on here. Yeah. Like even her, like, yes, her design was very, it was pretty high quality. And like the execution of the, the practical plus the digital was really good. But like in general, it, it, it's, a, it's like a little too Power Rangers in terms of like, the monster aspect or the costume element of it it's and like the way the way it moves until it started doing those frog movements it was mm-hmm. very person in a suit kind of yeah. thing which um, i like but yeah i mean yeah yeah i mean those are fine it's it's fine it's it, but it does like but that's that's what i mean is that like the rest of the episode like the effects of that giant spider thing mm-hmm. like the running through the caves like these sets are beautiful yeah. and the effects of like the 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 dogfight or the chase scene, you know, prior to this was amazing. Um, like I just, I had such a good time with this episode. It didn't really occur to me that it was a monster mm-hmm. of the week in the same way that like Cara Dune episodes were, or the Bill Burr episode was, you know, it's just, uh, it just seemed so much fuller. Speaking about time again, this one was 40 minutes. It did not feel like 40 minutes. This felt like a, like a, mm-hmm. a quick 20 to 30 uh, easily, but it just, mm-hmm. it flew by. I thought it was paced really well. Yeah. It was really broken up mm-hmm. right with those scenes. Like just, I mean, this, the, the chase was not small. No. Like it was, I mean, 
it was quick because of effects budgets probably, but like not quick, like it didn't, it didn't spare anything. I don't think. The uh, spider species is called Krikna and it was originally designed as a uh, swamp creature from Dagobah. This is why we have you on this podcast, man. This is just, you, you got these facts that are just, I love them. I love knowing where this thing came from. Well, I just, how do I want to put this? I personally love <laughs> when they use a bunch of Macquarie stuff that was never used before because yeah. it's all amazing and none of it should, you know, I'm not that it would be wasted if it was never used because it does exist in so many reference books and collections of Macquarie's art. Um, but he was just such a one of a kind designer and everything he made in some way was gold. And it's all been, you know, the way that they can recycle this and, and use it allows them to perpetuate the feeling of Star Wars because so much of Star Wars was Macquarie that it, it, it allows, you know, it's not that they don't have to go create new creatures. It's not that it, it saves them time or that there aren't people who are able to create uh, equally awesome things. But because these are like Macquarie designs, they were all created by one guy who had a vision of the thing in his head. So it's it's not like you have all of these you know new designers that are pulling in all these new ideas and maybe some of it kind of meshes okay and some of it sticks out a little bit more it's it just feels cohesive because it was like it was designed for star wars and that's why it's it still works you know 40 years yeah, later it totally. still works in star wars all they have to do is lift and shift <laughs> and make them 3d <laughs> um so yeah i i love it i think it's cool you know, keep doing that as long as there's material left to, to pull from. You keep thinking one of these days they're going to run out of Macquarie stuff, but he did just have so many, so many amazing paintings and illustrations and sketches and ideas. It's, it's cool. I love to see these things pop up and it's not like I recognize all these things right away. Like there are people who are, are smarter than I and, and more tuned into this kind of thing. Uh, Phil Sostak on Twitter obviously is a really great follow if you like this kind of stuff, because he sort of, um, maintains all those archives and he's the one that compiled a lot of the art of books and and all that so yeah i i get a lot of this stuff from other people but it's it's cool to to find out this these kinds of things i just that's the part of star wars that i like <laughs> uh, anything else with this episode no i don't think so I, I think that's kind of it for this one like we said it, it was a short and sweet and, and a pretty simple story but it was cool you know every part of it was neat and it, it really tied in well with the next one i think the flow of the season feels very good because even though it, it may be kind of seems monster of the week and sort of self-contained there is a nice uh line of of continuity that goes through these at the end of this one they take a nap and pray that the ship makes it to trask and then at the beginning of the next one they barely make it to trask <laughs> so yeah um that's kind of where the next one starts the the razor crest and um everybody in tow they make it to trask and mm -hmm. they sort of just use gravity to to pull them down and then they use the last of the gas to barely slow them selves down before they hit the platform um off of which they immediately which case, fall. <laughs> and then they hit the drink anyway yeah they hit the drink but that was cool because you got to see that like atat -AT modified crawler thing pick them up oh my god this is all solo stuff right like they're using so much like awesome stuff on this in terms of making it look great mm -hmm. like i just can't like i can't imagine it looking better yeah you like, think all the like the, the imperial shuttle in in this um 
episode is just out of control looking good in terms of like the physics of it and just the mass, the sheer size of these things. Mm-hmm. It just, the textures, like the sky, the integration with the water, yeah. everything about this is just so perfect. I it's was like, watching the water so closely. I was like, where, okay, where are the seams yeah. on this? Like, where does it look a little strange? And no, like all the particle the effects boat, look great. Like, what did, was that? Did you have you seen any making of for the boat scene in this episode? No, not yet. I hope they do they one because they've been doing a, a bunch of that kind of stuff on YouTube, like ILM and, and whatnot. Yeah, so they, they like I just, I mean, watching it, I was like, this has to be a barge that they just painted yeah. over, you know, somehow digitally. Like, like they have to have filmed it because like the ocean was so good, the lighting was perfect. Like I just can't. Like it just looks so good, and it's not fair <laughs> how good it looks. Like how they're able to put these people on the ocean and make it look choppy and. And this, the lighting on the armor, it's, I, like, this, this looked so good. This is the best looking episode of the entire mm-hmm. series, I think, um, because it just took you outside and into, it's, like, different from the planet with the, the Ugnaught and everything like that. Like, was that Tatooine? No. Um, in the first season, mm-hmm. like, like, they showed you a lot of that, that place um, where they found the child and everything. Mm-hmm. But, like, um but they, but it was really just the same thing and kind of like shots of him like riding in a camel or what or whatever the creature was, um, you know, uh, moving across a desert, which clearly was just like the set, you know, the digital set that they have set up and the canyon, which is a digital set that they have set up and like. But this one, you just didn't get that feeling. Like it just, like the docks were just so real. Yeah, yeah. Like the docks were full of crates and things. It just looked very. Uh, it looked legitimate. It looked used. It looked like there was just a bunch of stuff laying around. Yeah. Um, but everything had its own utility and its weird sense of dock organization. The nighttime shots looked a little um, soundstagey mm-hmm. to me. There, there was like one small uh, part, like when they they went up on the the Empire shuttle, uh, the Imperial shuttle that you know, they were breaking into and they landed on sort of that outer mm-hmm. deck and took care of those first two, um, two or three stormtroopers. That felt sure. a little small to me. <laughs> like it could have been a wider shot where you can yeah. like really see them on the outside of it, but it wasn't, it was close up, which could, you know, that's, that's a really easy piece of, piece of set <laughs> that you can create just a gray wall, a railing and a door. Um, that's all you need for that, that yeah. shot. And that, that one felt a little Very small much a to death me, star interior. Yeah, exactly. Like it just, it felt like a, a hallway <laughs> sort of thing. But <laughs> apart from that, I agree. I thought it was really cool to see a new planet. Like we've seen Camino, which is the only other like ocean planet that I can really think of. Sure. I love Camino. You know, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, great planet. This one's cool as well. It seems also mostly uh, oceanic, but we also got to see some, some you know species here that we don't get to see that often. We saw some on Calamari, which is you know sort of expected in some way, but also Quarren, which we don't really we haven't really had a lot of li- Do we have screen. any? Yeah, there's not a lot of live action of Quarren's. No, not really. There may have been like a, a sen- I think I remember some senators uh, on Coruscant. And I'm trying to think of any others. There there may have been some in, you know, the animated series, but. Definitely the animated, but not live action. Yeah. So I, I thought that was cool that, you know, that's, that's something yeah. we don't get to see that often. And we, it, it put them, it didn't just stick them in it put them in their place. Like it, it makes sense that they are, you know, fishermen like that, that fits to me. That whole thing really jived. I sure. Was it clear what was in the hull of that barge? Like what was that creature that they fed the child to? Well, they give it a name. They said, I, I, I didn't hear it. And I, I, for some reason I couldn't rewind it. I don't know why it slipped my mind to rewind. He said, have you ever seen a female blah, 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 eat right before feed? What did he say? Oh, it's a mammacore? 
Okay. For some reason, I thought he said, because I heard the word quar in it. So I said, I thought he was saying, have you ever seen a female quarren eat? And I'm like, oh my God, is the quarren <laughs> species just like the males are humanoid and the females are these gigantic, horrible creatures that just live underwater and feed on things? <laughs> like, like that's what I thought he was saying because yeah. I heard the quarr. But if it's mammacore, then it's yeah. like, okay, well, it's just another species. It's a mammacore. And the Wikipedia article on this only has, this is like the only the instance of this. So it's, I don't know, I guess it's sort of like a, a smaller version of a sarlacc <laughs> on an ocean planet it it, it sure. has a very kraken like feel diagona to it. i don't know um i guess this is the episode that i was referring to earlier where it's kind of like he's like this he would be dead right now right. i mean there's a to be fair in the last season he would be dead if it wasn't for like the ig droid mm-hmm. or whatever you know there's a lot of things that would happen that would have caused his demise but in terms of this episode it was just like i mean how was he going to get out of this maybe he would have figured something out um, maybe he would have used the missile or something on his jetpack. He was or having some trouble. Maybe. I mean, he, it really looked bad for him. Yeah, I mean, they were really they were really beating him with those blades as he tried to get air. I don't really know what was going on. Beskar armor is not going to save you from drowning. Definitely not. If anything, it would weigh you down. I don't know how he was... Uh, <laughs> it's not buoyant. Well, I, I'm amazed he's able to walk. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem with his costume last season. But, uh, yeah, um... So, yeah, he gets saved by three Mandalorians who we are familiar with, who you are familiar with probably because you know what they're about. I didn't know what they were about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bo-Katan finally, uh, finally makes her live-action debut. She's one of very few characters that has been in um, most, if not all, of the like TV series now. She was in um, Clone Wars, she was in Rebels, and now she's made her live-action debut in Mandalorian. And it looks like, uh, I-, I think ahsoka will follow next that was great when they when they dropped out at the end yeah um kind of expected like we knew that she was cast it's just a matter of time who did they cast again i forget rosario dawson yes great casting perfect casting should be amazing um i i mean i do like the fact that they gave bo katan's um voice actress uh the uh the 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 role in this right uh, yeah, I, I think so. Katie Sackhoff. I, I believe yeah. she did the original voice as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, pretty awesome. She's a great actress. You know, I've enjoyed her in, in many things as a voice actor or a, a live action actor. So it's cool to make it work because she does look like the character. Um, and that's not always the case for, for folks. Um, you know, Ashley Eckstein's probably a good example of that. Obviously like she is Ahsoka, um, but she doesn't really look like Ahsoka and it would be disingenuous to try to make that um, pulled off on screen. So yeah, I guess it's different when they um, go with, it's not like when you have, when you want to see like Spider-Man as a different person or something like that. Like Mm -hmm. if Donald Glover is going to be Spider-Man and like the stupid pushback that was against that. Um, it's not like, it's not like taking a fictional character and putting it like, this has already been visually represented in this canonical universe as one thing. And if you make them something else, it might be a little bit, I don't know. I I guess it's all fiction. So it doesn't matter in the end anyway. Mm -hmm. And you could take anybody and make them these, these characters. But I mean, I think Rosario Dawson is, is, is amazing for this role. Um, especially as an older Ahsoka, like it's just going to be, I'm very excited for it. I don't know. Maybe that, that, that might come like episode eight. We don't know what adventures lead between now and then, but maybe, you know, maybe we'll get something. Um, I think we'll get her next. I think I hope we'll so. probably have to get her sooner um, because I, I do want to talk more about Ahsoka and maybe we can do that as sort of a, a wrap up for this episode sure. as we guess as to what comes next. But yeah, we get the, we get this new batch of Mandalorians who come in. We recognize Bo-Katan from, you know, Star Wars Rebels and from, from Clone Wars. So we know, we know a little bit about her. 
she was a former member of Death Watch during the Clone Wars, uh, opposing the ideas of her sister, Duchess Satine and Pre Fizzla. I'm reading this from Wikipedia now. Uh, <laughs> until he was usurped by Darth Maul and forming the Night Owls to oppose him. So she's really been critical in pretty much every major aspect of the Mandalorian lore that we know, at least the the modern lore um, during like the the Skywalker saga. So uh, she was, you know, previously regent of Mandalore and until she refused to follow Palpatine and, and Clan Saxon. And there's, there's like so much, there's so much <laughs> Mandalorian lore. Like it is hard to follow and hard to remember unless you repeat it. Which is what I started doing. Yeah. I started, I had to go back and go to the Clone Wars and I was very surprised. Like the first three episodes are pretty fine, but then you get to the one where, um, Padme goes back to Mandalore and like has like the escapade where it just exposes the politics. Again, it's just like a very episode one kind of plot line on that episode where it's just like them exposing the corruption at the school system and on Mandalore. And it's, it's, yeah. it's very much like a, okay, we're going to make a movie about trade blockades <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that. Like a space opera about, okay, well, I guess that's what we're doing. Well, they had to expand it somehow so that Obi-Wan would have more story with Sabine. Right. Right. But that whole episode was just Padme and Sabine and which is fine. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it, those things have a place in the places and the TV shows and everything. But it was just, again, it was like, wow, they're really going for this whole political thing. Um, and like, I don't know how a kid would keep up with that episode. It's just so much corruption and like poisoning children like at the but accidentally poisoning children to save money at this in the school systems i was just like what mm-hmm. am i watching right now um but yeah i mean knowing nothing like i went into this episode and these people showed up and i think aaron kind of looked at me and was like should we know who these people are and i was like <laughs> it kind of looks like the girl from rebels maybe it's the girl from rebels i don't know who that is and like i don't know who that is yeah See, you need to, that's why you need to watch Rebels because I do. The, the rest of the story plays out there. And right. I think, I really do think like, I, I wish that you would have watched it prior to this season of Mandalorian specifically because <laughs> at the end of season one, we get that glimpse of Moff Gideon and the Darksaber, right? Sure. I, I got that though. I knew I knew the Darksaber. And we could do an entire episode of the Darksaber and its travels and who has owned it and you know how it gets passed along. But I... I think the last canonical ownership of of the dark saber went from this is sort of can i spoil it for you i mean yeah i mean star wars okay. is spoiled so so uh maul had it sure and then it went to sabine and then sabine passed on to bo katan and sabine helped convince the the people of mandalore that bo katan was like the only person that could and should lead them as a people. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of where that left off. I think unless I am blocking out part of the, the story of the dark saber, I think that's where it ended. So it seems to me that Moff Gideon somehow was able to, to take the dark saber from Bo-Katan, which is why she's trying to get it back. That's what this whole mission in this episode was about. She is trying to get these supplies that will help them go after the empire. And she was trying to get information about um, the location of the, the dark saber from, uh, whatever the the poor lieutenant was on this ship, the poor lieutenant. Yeah, you know the guy the guy that's commanding it. Who you know had he at the end of it? I thought it was kind of cool that they actually uh, showed off like the you know the kill chip that they have planted in their tooth where they can like electrocute and kill themselves if they're forced to give up information. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was the uh, cyanide pill in his tooth. Right, right. Yeah, it's like the Star Wars version of that, which is kind of neat because get to use those those fun. Uh, electroshock effects now that was um titus 
Welliver, that Imperial captain. He was the he was the only familiar face in this episode that I was expecting, and I'm trying to figure out where I know him from because his IMDb page is his known for. I haven't Transformers is probably where I know him from. I guess mm. um, he's in Law and Order SVU for a while. It looks like he did a bunch of episodes there. He does a lot of like uh, he's a cop pretty much, <laughs> like cop ah. military guy mentalist i guess he showed up on i saw Monk. that supernatural yeah a lot Sounds of csi like... i think is his thing uh, it looks like he's he's primarily a tv actor and he's been in quite a lot of things but yeah he's i mean this is this is the kind of show that has people that take you out of it like i was trying to place john Leguizamo in the first episode for you know a while i couldn't really get mm-hmm. it um but he was there <laughs> and and that's kind of the beauty is that they can just make these aliens. But, but then when you cast somebody like Oliphant or this guy, you're just kind of like taken out of it a little bit. Like, wait, I know this guy. This guy is on SVU. Oh, he did Voyager right. episodes too. That's kind of cool. NYPD Blue. I mean, Rosario Dawson's going to be, I mean, she's such a big name now. And yeah. having her in the show is going to be interesting. But I, I think that the likeness is is, is there she's enough. She's got those eyes, those sense. big Ahsoka eyes. They're just so big. <laughs> so anyway, Mandalorian lore aside, um, we we kind of start to see that tension between um not necessarily between our mandalorian and these ones but between our mandalorian and what he knows about the mandalorians he thinks that he comes from like the true mandalorians right and it's that that offshoot of of death watch or, or whatever i'm gonna have to get some clarification on that i'm gonna have to do some reading on exactly what his whole group was a was a branch of, but Bo-Katan was able to recognize that as a former Death Watch and and understand where he gets his ideas from uh, of what a Mandalorian should be, and so he's going to have to struggle with that because now he's learning a little bit more about the history of the society that he was sort of adopted into, right? Like he doesn't know the full history of Mandalore, and they're not going to rehash that on this show because they've done two animated series almost <laughs> exclusively about that in some ways, so. I think it's going to be interesting to see him figure this stuff out and how that plays into whether or not he wants to continue to wear his helmet all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think he mean, he, I read an article where he's very defensive about how he was on the set this season more than he was last season. Like he was mm-hmm. just like, he's like, no, it was actually me in the costume. Like, stop saying that. Stop saying I wasn't on the set. It's important to be that I was there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of weird behind the scenes stuff with this show that I'm not I, too fond of. Um, I think that kind of gives a clue, right? That's sort of a meta clue that he might take his helmet off in this season, right? Yeah. Did you, see, you saw the still of him voice acting though, right? <laughs> holding the pillow. <laughs> yeah. Holding the pillows to sub in for baby Yoda. I just love it. He looks so, That's so smart though. Yeah. I, I, I totally get that. Like it's when you're, when you're an, a voice actor, you sometimes want to do things that make you feel like you're actually in the scene and it helps you. And if you're just, you know, holding your arms out, like you're holding a baby that it feels fake because you're not actually holding anything. And so it, it's going to make you feel like the lines you're delivering are fake. So it totally makes sense to just grab like whatever the most um, cushy, cuddly kind of thing is to kind of give you that extra feeling while you're delivering your lines seems silly but i i can totally see why he does it and it's just a funny picture <laughs> sure sure i mean there's a lot of stuff about the mandalorian that i'm still like not clear on like the whole like voice thing and where it's coming out of because it sounds very affected in the same way that like kylo ren's voice was affected in in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the sequels but like 
I don't know. I'm watching Raised with Wolves right now, and have you seen that show? Yeah. Have you watched yeah, it? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm like, of course I have. I'm like seven deep on that one right now, six or seven deep, and I just all I want to know are like the 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 rules of these weapons <laughs> and these peoples, and like, and right. I want to know the lore behind it. And I'm like, how is she mm-hmm. having these powers? How is she killing these people this way? Like, how? Like, what's? The, I want to know all the technology and the science fiction of it because I, I do feel that Star Wars is science fantasy, and this is not a novel take by any means. But like, if Ridley Ridley Scott is very clearly science fiction, I feel like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want the fiction of it. I want the science fiction, the, the Star Trek of it, rather than the Star mm-hmm. Wars of it. And you know. But every once in a while in Star Wars, I want the Star Trek of Star Wars, you know? I want, I want like, the science behind, like, where's the Mandalorian's voice coming out of? Does he have a little speaker thing in there? Uh, does, his, <laughs> does his mask fog up when he's in there? Like, does he have issues with visibility? Like, there's just all the little yeah, things. Does he brush I his want. teeth? How long does his hair? Well, he can't let people see him with the helmet off, but he can take the helmet off. Has the child seen him? Well, that's the thing, is if he sleeps with baby Yoda in that little cradle thing, um, when he closes that thing up... Well, he let's be clear. He's not sleeping in the cradle, baby. Yoda's no, the not cradle, the cradle. I mean, like in the, the same. Sh- I mean, the, the hold. When I say cradle, I mean like <laughs> ship's hold. You know that he has that little okay. room yeah, yeah. where the, the wall okay. goes up. Well, you have to clarify because baby Yoda has a cradle. Yes, like he she- does sleep in a cradle. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so he, does he take his helmet off when he's in there with baby Yoda? You know, that's, that's probably not. I'd say no because that's a somebody, and you know. Mandalorian armor, yada yada yada. Um, Dark saber. <laughs> did you? Uh- do you see the picture on Twitter that I think Hal, uh, is it Hal Hiscold shared it? I think it was, <laughs> he's been sharing a bunch of like behind the scenes things for like the Razor Crest and, and, you know, just stuff throughout the, the show. And he shared a picture of the commode on the Razor Crest. <laughs> no, he hasn't. I'll, uh, I'll try to find that and put that in the show notes. I haven't seen it now. Um, that's it, great. It's good. Like, there's like handlebars to hold on to. <laughs> it's a bumpy ride in that ship. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, um, I mean, we didn't dwell too much on that episode, but uh, yeah, it was a good one. Um, I like the the rolling down the hallway with the detonators, like you mentioned, and just mm-hmm. his armor just being able to take the brunt of it's, everything. Fantastic yeah. scene, fantastic And the scene. way he holds himself so he, like, covers up all the gaps and stuff, it's very, yeah. very, like, you know, brute force, tank, sort of. That is what I love about him is like when he's clearly when he's not at like an extreme disadvantage, like being trapped underwater where he can't breathe or whatever. I love his willingness to do whatever it takes, which is that, you know, like jumping into the crate dragon's mouth to he's just like he's just like a guy who like for all the saving that I for the harping that I did on him getting saved or whatever or like not being as badass as i would want him to be he is incredibly badass like in terms of just like wanting to he knows what the objective is and he will do literally whatever it takes to finish it when he can you know like if he's like okay i can fly into that thing's mouth now and kill it i guess i'm gonna go do it he's like okay i guess i could run down this hallway right now with two thermal detonators and just take a ton of blaster fire because my armor can i'm gonna do it it's not like it's like if he's not literally, you know, checkmated, then he's doesn't need saving. You know, he's he's willing to save everybody else, and that is that is a great character yeah. um, in terms of what I want to see on screen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's doing whatever it takes to, to sure. get the kid back, and that's pretty cool. Or get back to the kid, you know. And yeah, sure, yeah. Like how how much of it is is one, and how much of it is the other at this point? Like I think we see that evolve more and more over time. Obviously, he has a he has a an affection. Um, for the child and that becomes more playful as we see when you know the kid is 
basically committing genocide and (laughs) (laughs) he's just like yeah don't do that let's let's just not do that yeah Um, i really wonder how much he i I want the kid to start talking like baby groot style where he can just like he starts to understand and evolve like i want to see teenage yoda is a lot of things i want to see here it's just the child will be growing so slowly he's 50 years old and he's a toddler uh and barely even a toddler. Yoda was seven seven hundred fifty though, right? When he died? I don't I don't remember. Seven hundred, um, I think. Something like that. But like yeah, like presumably they've only been together for I don't know, whatever the this universe's equivalent of a month is. <laughs> is it? A month or two. That's all it's taken place, huh? That's quite uh, I, I don't know that for sure. I'm just I'm guessing based on time. I don't know how much time has actually passed, but well, a great it doesn't de- seem a, like very long. Yeah, I mean a great debate is you know, what, what does Empire Strikes Back take place? How much time does that take place? You know? Mm. What do you say? Oh, uh, I think there's more of a definitive answer on that. I just, I don't remember what it is. It, it, it was like a, it was like an internet debate that happened before some, and then like somebody squashed it, I think. Pablo Hidalgo squashed it. And I think it, the answer was like something well, like I, two I weeks think or something. At this point, with all the additional media that's been, yeah. been added to the, you know, the canonical timeline, I think that's probably shored up by now. It was really like, what? how long did Luke spend on Dagobah, I think, was the most, was the biggest question. And it was very right. short amount of time, I think. Yeah, I think we talked about that before. Yeah. Um, okay, so the future. So we have, I guess, because we're doing this three episodes at a time, which is a weird thing to do. We'll probably do three, three and two, I guess, if there's eight yeah. in the season. Um, we got predictions for the next three episodes. And I think mm-hmm. you have a great prediction, I'll let you say. My prediction is that we're not going to get Ahsoka until a couple episodes from now, at least. I think he's going to have more adventures before he gets to where he's trying to go. That's my prediction, and I don't have anything beyond that. I would say the opposite. I think that we're going to get our next episode because we're going to have to get as much screen time as we can with her before she's killed off on screen. That's your big one. Is that, and I think you're totally right, and there's a big reason why you would go that route. And Well, yeah. I mean, she she kind of <laughs> has to. Yeah, she has to. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're going to hire a heavy hitter like rosario dawson you're gonna take the leap and actually bring ahsoka to the screen which is gonna be tough because you know historically um people of species like ahsoka's or you know any of any species that have laku it's very hard to pull that off on screen without it looking fake uh if they're gonna go through the effort to have a main character um like ahsoka have it look amazing have an amazing actress for it obviously during a very critical time in the storyline um i she she has to be on here for a while and at least a couple episodes and i think because we're already three episodes deep that's probably gonna have to be sooner than later so if it's not next episode it will be the one after that i'm almost positive and because we know that ahsoka doesn't live through the sequel trilogy based on that last scene with uh, Ray and Palpatine and the voices, you know, behind her, right. presumably helping her in spirit. We hear Ahsoka there, so right. that and, that leads us to believe she dies at her, some point. And her her lack of presence throughout the sequel trilogy in general would probably indicate that she's probably not around. <laughs> the fact that Luke isn't really looking to her at all. I would love to see her and Luke just like hanging out. That would be cool, and who knows? But I I think from a meta standpoint, like she is she is Filoni's baby sure <laughs> right and it's been a it's been a hard fought battle to be able to bring her back to screen so i from a meta standpoint i think she has to 
appear and she probably has to die on screen here because it is such like a big move to bring her to live action and because she can't live that much longer and she probably will exhaust her purpose with bringing the child back in some way and who knows we don't know how like the child will play into the bigger universe and its importance and the you know the return of the jedi and and all of that stuff that that we kind of get into with the sequel trilogy but i think it has to happen um i would i would think next episode but who knows they could give us another filler i do see that you know dave filoni is set to direct episode five not episode four Mm. carl weathers is directing episode four wait who carl weathers Say it one more time. Carl Weathers is... Carl Weathers is directing episode four. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I, I, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. I'm so, looking forward to it. I would like her to appear in the next one, but I think it's probably episode five because episode five is written and directed by Dave Filoni. Yeah, okay. know this already. So that's probably when that's going to happen. Or Dave Filoni doesn't care to have her appearance on screen so much as her demise. And if that's the case, then she's dying a lot earlier but we also don't know who is um who's directing the the follow-up episode uh, follow-up episodes after that we do know that john favreau like definitely wrote episodes six and eight and rick famiua wrote episode seven so dave filoni only at least wrote one episode of this season and you would have to imagine that that would be the episode like the episode the important episode with ahsoka and it would be crazy if she was only brought on screen in live action for one episode and then was killed off. <laughs> no, she'll hang around for the rest of the season. I imagine, I mean, the things that have to happen this season really is, you know, Soka dying, like you said. But it also, I guess it doesn't have to be the season. I'm just throwing that out there. Like, she definitely has to be in the show and she has to die in the show. But that isn't to say that she doesn't live out season two and die in season three or season four we don't know how long the show's gonna go that's true that's true i guess but yeah i mean the on-screen kill is inevitable um (laughs) i mean maybe not on screen but not nor do i want it but it's more like it just kind of is a is a end that we're coming to kind of like episode three Mm -hmm. we know where we're headed with that episode three revenge of the sith that is um so yeah i mean i i think we need to get grandma gideon in there uh, with the dark saber, I think Ahsoka's going to tie into that. I, I think he'll probably kill her, probably if it's going to happen. We need to mm. like we need something that I really feel that has gone by the wayside for good reason, obviously, because um, they need to figure it out. But like, what is Baby Yoda? You know, um, he needs to be returned right. to his species. They're, I mean, they've been saying, is he a clone? Is he a this? Is he a that? Like, are there more Yodas? That's the stuff that we're all like sort of aching for, but we're also conveniently forgetting about it because the rest of the show is so high quality and, and kind of delivering mm. something that we all want to see. And uh, I just, I like that. I, I like that I can kind of forget about why, like the things I was obsessed with last season that I just stopped getting and thought I wasn't going to get. It's just such a massive unknown. Like it is the the whole point of the show is his returning the child to its kind. And does that kind mean its species? Does that kind mean the Jedi? Um, the Mandalorian doesn't even know. <laughs> so we're just along for the ride as much as he is. Um, he's just sort of in the the driver's seat, blindly pushing forward towards any clue that he can get. Uh, he's not much of a, I mean, he's not a detective. He's, you know, he's a, a bounty hunter, so he can track things, but he doesn't have knowledge of the Jedi. He doesn't know anything about them. So it just goes to show, like, he's just flying blind here. And well, he's following his nose with the, with the Bo-Katan. Yeah. Like, he went to that planet looking for the Mandalorians there and he found them. Right. They found him, I guess. Um, 
and that's the same, you know, in the planet before, you know, he went looking to Tatooine because he heard that there were Mandalorians there. And now he's headed towards whatever planet to find Ahsoka. But I imagine he's going to get intercepted by Carl Weathers next episode. Do you think Carl Weathers is going to be like directing? Featured? Yeah, directing and starring. Yeah. He's going to be directing himself, you think? That could be interesting. I'm not really sure. I think like Don Draper did, uh, not Don Draper. I think, I think, I think John Hamm did that in Mad Men a couple times. Um, oh, surely. Yeah, yeah like I mean, a, a lot of the Mad Men cast thing. got to direct themselves um, on certain episodes. Zach Braff and Scrubs, you know. It, yeah, that that is a mistake. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I think my big guesses are uh, long-term Ahsoka will die on screen, and with that, that's not the end of Boba Fett. I think we get more Boba Fett. Like, you got to remember. Remember at the end, like near the end of last season, I can't remember if it was episode seven or eight, um, but it was when he was on Tatooine with that sort of like, you know, younger hotshot bounty hunter, uh, and they went off together to to find what's her face in the desert, and then somebody kind of clinked up to her, and we weren't we weren't sure who that was, but we were pretty sure it was Boba Fett. Like I think we're pretty positive now that was probably a Boba Fett. Oh, dude, I erased that. I erased that from my brain. I can't even remember that. Yeah, so I, I think that was the teaser. Then we got the stinger, and I think we're going to get some plot. I guess, maybe. I don't know. I, I think we'll get something else with Boba Fett in it. I think it's going to be know. a different medium or a different show or something else entirely. What I want, I, I, I want to see some Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's <laughs> I not his place. Do. I know this show is not his place. But if we're bringing Ahsoka in, we're like, remember the Mandalorian is supposed to be like, okay, this is the story of uh, something outside of the conflict of the Jedi and the Sith and the Republic and the Imperials. This is just something totally separate. And now it's just like, okay, now we're just going back to the Jedi again. <laughs> it's just fine. Um, yeah. But if we're bringing in Ahsoka, I mean, like, Luke's got to be out there somewhere. So give me some Sebastian Stan as Luke, all right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there there could be opportunity. Like, we don't know exactly when the Obi-Wan series is supposed to take place. And then, you know, there is there is opportunity, I guess, in the casting the Andor series in some way. Um, but it would be weird because I guess that would be the first time that somebody played Luke that wasn't, you know, Mark Hamill or the baby. I guess we know that they can de-age mark hamill you know like they did in last jedi so that's kind of cool only but, so far yeah only so far i don't know uh but uh, yeah I, I just like you know i the only one of the few things that i'm a fan of with the sequel trilogy is how they treated luke i do like what they did with him and i do like that they killed him in last jedi and i do like that he came back as a force ghost i, w- I would have liked him to do more in rise of skywalker um which i hope we get to another episode when we talk about the script that was never um, but yeah, I think I would like to see, I, I, I would like it if we got some badass Luke stuff happening somewhere in the, in the cinematic or in the, in the television universe somewhere. It would be nice. I, I think they've shown that they like to pull those bigger elements in, not necessarily as like the, the primary plot of the show, but as, uh, helpers along the way. Um, it kind of, it allows it to be its own thing, but also ties it into things that people love and appreciate seeing. And so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for that to happen in another show. But I don't know if it would happen in The Mandalorian. It doesn't seem like the right fit, especially if they're going to go Ahsoka Tano as sort of the, the the landmark Jedi of the series. I see him floating in like he has in other Star Wars media. Um, you know, like think of like Battlefront 2 when he kind of just interacts with one of the main characters for a little bit in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, in like uh, in other video games, he kind of just shows up um, as a character like that flies with you 
in a, in a mission on like X-Wing Alliance right. or whatever. Um, in a, one of the comics in the Poe Dameron or one of the, the pre, the prequel to the prequel trilogy, I guess, like, uh, in between quals, uh, comics where it's like Poe Dameron's parents, like Luke is kind of just a, a figure in that he kind of pops up and rescues some forest trees and gives them to Poe Dameron's parents. Like he, I, I like him kind of just popping up as this kind of mythical guy. And then where he lands in Last Jedi is so fantastic. It's just this dude who's like a curmudgeon on a on like a, an island in the, in the middle of space somewhere. I love it. It's always nice. Like just little little reminders that he's out there. Yep. <laughs> Our hero. Yeah. I don't know. He's just, uh, it's nice to have that, that guy out there. Um, anything else you want to say? More Banthas, please. Yeah, more Banthas, please. Um, thank you for listening to our episode about the Mandalorian episodes one through three. We'll be back uh, episodes after episode six. Hopefully we're back before then with other material, but... Um, no we'll be, promises. No promise. Well, I mean, we got to talk about stuff. It's fun It's fun to talk about it again. We talked about this last episode with the, the, the new the High Republic series, you know? It's fun to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. again because we don't have to worry about the stupid movies. They've ruined it, and now it can only get better. <laughs> I'll say this about the the High Republic series just because it's 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 current while we're recording this, but I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of worried about it. Like, I know it's coming. Um, I have my book pre-orders. Like, they have delivery dates sent for January after it got pushed from um, last month. But they, like, the landmark book by Charles Soule that's coming out, they put out like the first two or three chapters or something as a preview, which isn't uncommon. That is something that they'll do, but then they put out more and I think they have like chap up chapters one through six available. And then chapter seven through eight were going to become available. And I just think that's a little strange. I don't know if that's just, you know, trying to get people interested in this completely different era of star Wars. It seems like a strange tactic to me, but I don't know. It, it, it's a cause for concern in my opinion because it's just like do they really think that people aren't going to be interested in this is this really the the steps that they have to take to to drum up that interest i i'm not reading them or i'm refusing to read them until i have the whole book um but yeah just a weird note on that but that'll be coming soon within the next year a couple months well thank you for listening again (laughs) Uh, if you want to read the episode notes for this, you can go to banthafodder.fm slash episode slash 35. That's the one. Number 35. You can tweet at us. Is that a thing? You can. Sure. Yeah. 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 We're banthafodder.fm on Twitter individually. We're Jacob Tender and Mike Comite. That's all we got, really, I think. <laughs> Until next time. This is the way. Or whatever. That was the way. <laughs>